Hello, and welcome to episode 1153 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Tuesday, March 7th. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, and today is another guest episode. It is part two with lead prospect writer Eric Longhangen. We did the National League last week where we went uh, team by team discussing prospects, prospect-adjacent players, and downright veterans. I mean, there were, there were guys on there uh, that were in their 30s that he felt worth talking about because they might have an angle on some playing time that could de- deliver some fantasy-relevant uh, production. Same thing here with the American League. Now, I hilariously, at the beginning of the episode, said that it was going to be shorter. You'll hear that in a moment. Uh, because we were on a time crunch. We were on a time crunch. A, a loose one, a loose out. But um, it was not shorter. It was longer. So given the feedback on the National League episode, I don't think people are going to mind. But, you know, maybe it's a maybe it's a you know, multi, multi-listen sort of deal. I will once again label the team so you can go back to them you know, as you see fit or pick up where you leave off or jump to teams. You know, if you're in the middle of a draft, you're like, well, I want to see what they say about the Astros here and then come back to the O's where I left off. Whatever the case may be, I got that. Um, so I'll put those tags in there. But here we are again with Eric. Enjoy. Thanks for listening. I'm joined again by Eric for part two. Eric, great job on the NL. Um, excellent episode. We're going to go through the AL again. Going to be a little bit shorter for folks just because we're on a time crunch. So we're just going to get you started right away with the Yankees. Of course, there's a Yankee tax in fantasy sports or in fantasy baseball. Uh, seems like every every Yankee's just a little bit more expensive than maybe they should be. And then when they're really good, of course, they go sky high. Anthony Volpe and Oswald Peraza are hitting that tax right now because they're on the cusp. What do we see from those two this year, Peraza and Volpe? Either of them breaking camp? Are they both impact players this year? Where are we at? Yeah, I think uh, Peraza for sure will just be the everyday shortstop. He's the best defensive shortstop on the whole 40-man. Um with Volpe, it pro- I think they're going to give Glaber every opportunity to like improve. They don't have to put Volpe on the 40-man until after the year. It's possible that he will just kick down the door. I don't think that he's quite that level of player where they just got to be like, yeah, like, you know, this guy's, you know, after Judge, Rizzo, and, and Stanton, like, this is our next best hitter. Got to get him in the lineup. Like, I'm not sure mm-hmm. that that's quite going to happen um, this season, but... When Volpe does come up, I do think people want to roster him. There's just so much playable power here. The amount of lift in his swing, his ability to impact the baseball all over the zone with lift uh, is really impressive. He does kind of have like a right-handed Juan Soto style swing. There's not quite that much bat speed, but in terms of how much lift there is and how he's uphill through the whole zone, uh, that is happening. So uh, some of like the underlying metrics here like related to his average launch angle and how much he's lifting the baseball are, are kind of nuts it's like um he's got a 24 degree launch angle on average wow and like a third of the contact that he's putting into play is like in an impact area uh like in like that you know 15 to 25 degree area basically uh and so yeah there's just so much playable power here much more than there is like real raw juice mm-hmm. it's like a you know Volpe's got like average maybe a tick above raw power uh right now and has you know just is going to get to that much game power at least because of how much lift there is so i do think when he's up like you want to have this guy um but i'm not sure that he's 
going to kick down the door. And I think that they have to give Glaber Torres an opportunity to fail before they elevate Volpe. Yeah. I, uh, I think that makes sense there. You know, just, just getting rid of him or, or, you know, not playing him full time. I don't think makes sense at 26. You know, obviously he had that big peak when he, he ate up Baltimore and kind of set off that huge season. And during the rabbit ball year, hasn't been quite as good since, but he also hasn't been bad. And so I do think Glaber should get his full shot. I'm a big Oswaldo Cabrera fan. I like him as a, a super util on this team. I feel like with the infield outfield capability, he could end up playing a lot, you know, Josh Donaldson's 37. Injury yeah. issues been chasing him around. Uh, Aaron Hicks is 33. We're getting our annual story about how healthy and fit he is per usual. And it's like, okay, uh, fool me once, but then fool me 52 times. Uh, no more with Aaron Hicks. Is Oswaldo Cabrera going to be somebody who can have Im impactful playing time this year? Yes, totally agree. He graduated last year as like a 45, but you know, having watched him in the big leagues towards the end of last year, he should have just been on last year's top 100 or at some point in the middle of the year, he should have been in the top 100 mix uh, that much power from a switch hitting guy that that's going to play every day. I don't think he's an infielder. His hands are just so bad. I just think he's going to be put in a corner outfield. I think uh, that makes sense. Yeah. But the fact that he's switch hitter with this much juice, uh, I think means that he's in the lineup basically every day. I, I would absolutely prioritize owning him over the guys that you mentioned. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think that he'll probably just be the everyday left fielder at some point. Um, and I know they're going to obviously trying the third base thing makes sense because of Donaldson. And I think that there are other reasons that they might be looking to get rid of Josh Donaldson. Yeah, I, I, I'm using that as leverage, too, as far as my my Cabrera shares right now, because he doesn't seem like he's he's long for New York. But we'll see. They got to find yeah, a way to get rid of him, too. I think that's about it as far as the prospects who are going to make like a big 2023 impact. Um, Clark Schmidt has graduated, right? So he wouldn't be a traditional prospect, but do we think he can make an impact this year, especially with the Montas injury? Yes. I think that if you're looking at the Yankees, like 40 man guys who are on the cusp of making the big league staff, that he is the one who is most likely. Um, I think Davey Garcia might get squeezed off the roster. He's probably only a reliever at this point. He just can't throw strikes. Mm -hmm. uh, the velo is back for Davey. He was like 92 last year. First outing of the spring, he was more like 95, 96, but he's still just scattershot command. It's all over the place. Don't think that that one's going to work. And then the other prospects like Randy Vasquez and like Yanni Brito and stuff, they just have many more option years left. So I think the Yanks will feel free to option that group of guys. Whereas Schmidt only has the one option left. You want to try to preserve that if you can. And so leaving him on the, the big league round makes a ton of sense, especially if Nestor Cortez is like starting the year on the IL or anything like that. Um, I think he's first in line. It's probably going to be inefficient in terms of how many innings he's working, but, but yeah, Clark Schmidt's good. And uh, you know, absolutely worth rostering in, in fantasy. The other thing that people should keep an eye on is Luis Gill. Um, I don't think Luis Gill's like a starter or anything. He's coming off of TJ. He was, I believe, I don't think any of their beat writers have confirmed it yet, but I was told by someone who works for a team, not the Yankees, because uh, I'm working on the Yankees list right now, actually, that in their system, they have Gill as being given like another option year. Okay, um, getting that, that extra fourth. Yeah, so it seems like he was one who I thought coming off of TJ 
as soon as he was done rehabbing, that they were going to have to roster him because he was out of options otherwise. Uh, but now it seems as though they can't option him. So I would expect him to kind of slow play that one. And he, you know, that, but the back of the, the Yankees bullpen, like the Albert Abreu, Davey Garcia, you know, uh, Clark Schmidt, and um, Yoendris Gomez, who's another guy who's like sort of squeezed, came back from TJ in 2022, uh, wasn't quite the same. He came back in less than 12 months. Um, his options are running dry. He has not thrown yet this spring. Like some of those guys are kind of in limbo right now, and I'd be kind of scared of that group. Okay, so we'll, we'll be careful a little bit with some of those guys, but the Yankees do have some fruit this year. Uh, if you're looking, be expecting to pay the tax, but uh, it might actually be worth it with some of these guys. Let's move on and go to Toronto and uh, see what they have to offer this year. You know, they've obviously put some great guys up uh, recently with uh, with some of their, you know, obviously they're now firmly established guys like Bo Bichette and them. But um, what what is what is the next level looking like for them? I know Ricky Tiedemann somebody that's getting some buzz right now, but is he somebody who can make an impact this year? And then Addison Barger's the only other guy who made the 100. Where do the Jays stand with their impact potential? I think uh, with regard to Tiedemann, just because of the line the Blue Jays have taken with some of their other pitching prospects, that I would expect them to maybe not pump the brakes, but I'd be surprised if they were just like, yep, screw it, like go to the big leagues. They've just taken such a low and slow approach with guys like Nate Pearson, where they're just like, let's try to make him start. Let's try to make him start. Um, and I would expect them to take a similar line with, with Tiedemann. And then uh, if he absolutely kicks the door down, and we see him next year. He's still only 20 years old. Uh, you know, I saw him last year in the Florida State League, and then he finished the year, I think, at Double A. Um, so, like, they they were pushing him pretty quickly. But you know, I think at this point, we'll see. Maybe towards the very, very end of the year, if he's just one of their best 12 arms and they're in the playoffs, they will decide to do it. Uh, but I'm not sure about that yet. I do think it's time for Nate Pearson to just be in the bullpen. So, yeah. Like, so I was you brought him up. Let's let's talk some Nate Pearson. Can he? Can he be anything besides a maybe multi-inning relief guy? Does I mean, obviously Romano's there as the closer, but if Romano got hurt, do you think Pearson would have any opportunity to get that? Or is the yes. control just, okay, he, he could if he's healthy and ready? I think so. You know, they sent him to the Dominican late last year to kind of have innings in the event that they went deep into the playoffs. So like the Dominican Winter League started – before the you know MLB playoffs ended, and Pearson went down there to pitch for Lise. Uh, like that first week of Lise was like they had Nate Pearson, they had Tristan Casas and Ellie De La Cruz and Ronnie Mauricio, and like it was ridiculous wow. their roster. And Pearson's body looks great. You know, he's always been kind of a heftier guy, and had times when he's like gotten leaner and like fluctuated. He looks really really good right now. The velocity is is there, um, and you don't. I don't think want like Jimmy Garcia to be your setup guy. Yeah. So I think that was Toronto's big problem last year. And so I would have just bullpen Nate Pearson at this point uh, and like, let him air it out in the back of that bullpen. And yeah, if something happens to Romano, I prefer Pearson to like Eric Swanson and Garcia as a closer option there. I, and I then the, other, the other thing with this lineup is they didn't have any left-handed hitters last year. Mm -hmm. uh, so they got Dalton Varsho to try to remedy that. And you've seen them try to piece together some like Brandon Belt, Belt and Kiermaier. Uh, but, you know, they they went out of their way to put like Nathan Lukes and Spencer Horwitz on their 40 man. Those guys are like fine left handed hitting first base outfield type guys 
who have performed at the upper levels, but like Addison Barger has big time bat speed from the left side and he's okay defensively on the infield. Uh, obviously with Bichette and like Santiago Espinal and Matt Chapman, those guys are really good. Uh, and so you've seen Barger, like, you know, they're going to work him out in the outfield and this and that. Um, yeah, he's one where I think he's better than Kevin Biggio. If they want Espinal to play more of like a glove first utility role, he, you know, Barger maybe platoons with him at second base or kind of does like the Chris Taylor dance where he's like second base some of the time and left field mm-hmm. some of the time, depending on the in-game situation. Uh, I do think Barger, yeah, like has a chance to be really good. It's just rare left-handed bat speed and power. He was under a bushel because of the pandemic. He had like a drug suspension uh, and all of a sudden was like an old for the level guy in 2021 yeah. and no one was now. really paying attention. And then he has a monster 2022 comes to the fall league and you can't not pay attention to him when he's swinging like that right in front of you. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I am in on Addison Barger. It's just a weird roster fit here right now. You can definitely see some utility because he's left-handed, but the Blue Jays have, you know, Boba yet. So it's going to be tough for him to, to find his way into reps. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are some older guys and we'll see what happens. They've had some consistent injuries. So maybe that's a way for Barger to get in. But right now, uh, they're probably somebody to just know as opposed to be drafting anywhere outside of Dynasty. Now, this guy fits kind of the team's mold, which is right-handed power. So he might even have a tougher fit. But Arelvis Martinez is on the 40 and did have a 30 homer season last year at Double A. Is he somebody who could come up this year um, or is it just too much with the swing and miss? Because he did hit 203 with a 286 OBP during those 30 homers, which is pretty brutal, at, even at double A as a 20 year old. Yeah, like he's Michael Franco, I think. Oh, man. So if that's what you're into, then go ahead and draft him. <laughs> I was uh, into Michael Franco, but I, I think I've I think I've graduated from that now where I won't get fooled as much by that. Yeah, it just is so much swing and miss. It's a one note pull heavy approach. If I showed you his spray chart from the upper minors last year, you'd be shocked at how many of those home runs just sort of sneak inside the left field foul pole. Mm-hmm. Um, I am skeptical of Elvis. I know zips loves him and like ranked him in the top, you know, five th- prospects in baseball. He is not a shortstop. No, uh, he is like a fine third baseman, but um, I just am very skeptical. There may be, maybe fantasy people want to be on him more than like, I would be just because there is real power. Here. Yeah, exactly. Like he could be come up or Elvis Martinez could come up, hit for some pop. Remember he was hitting in New Hampshire, which is a place that we did see, you know, a bit. Uh, they played a bit there in the, in the pandemic year, didn't they? They played at Buffalo, a Buffalo. That's right. Pardon me. Pardon me. But yeah, There's so weird stuff happening. Cause then like Trenton was playing in Buffalo. It was, a, there was a, it was a mess. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, but Aralvis does have pop. So he is a better fantasy prospect than he is real life. But with that swing and miss, he can also come up and do like one of those one for 40 things, you know, type deal and be right back down. So it could be some false starts or he clicks for seven homers in the first month. Everyone thinks he's a God. And then the league catches up to him. Just be careful with the Realms. I do think it's a bit all or nothing there. Anybody else on Toronto before we move on? I like Leo Jimenez too. If you're in like a batting average centric league, uh, mm-hmm. Leo Jimenez is a cute little, you know, up the middle utility guy who also really has 40. good bat to ball skills. So um, yeah, if batting average is the thing that your league cares about, he's one to be sensitive to as well. After Espinal, he is the next best defensive infielder on uh 
Toronto's 40 man. And if the right circumstances arise, like he has to go up uh, just, you know, they need a backup shortstop yeah. in the event that like something happens to either Bo or Espinal. And uh, this is the, you know, the guy most capable of doing that. Okay. Leo Jimenez on the 40, keep an eye on him. Let's move over to Tampa Bay, a team that a lot of fantasy folks like because they do churn out a lot of quality prospects that become relevant. However, sometimes the timing of it can be problematic. And I think the two guys that are the highest rated Curtis Mead and Taj Bradley might run into those same issues where it looks like they're ready. And on certain teams, they would have a chance to break camp or be up very early. But with Tampa Bay, you just don't know. Curtis Mead, there's a little bit of a no room at the end type of situation. With Bradley, it's the old, you know, are they just going to kind of massage him through as opposed to push him? Both guys look exciting, look, look like 2023 impacts, but how much impact for Mead and Bradley this year? Yeah, you're right. Um, you know, I think with Taj, he'll probably be up at some point because pitching in Tampa Bay just tends to get hurt. Like they tend to yeah. turn through a ton of guys every year and it's already begun with Glasnow's oblique. I know. Uh, and Patino has had shoulder stuff again this spring. If I am remembering correctly mm -hmm. that like he's had a bunch of issues has uh, Luis Patino. So, um, you know, I think at some point Taj will be up and I think to stream him during the, the period when he is up uh, makes a ton of sense. He's going to throw a bunch of strikes. Uh, you know, his fastball really, really plays. It's not quite like Spencer Strider where he's throwing that hard, but even though like Strider's slider, Bradley's is not visually explosive. The fact that hitters have to cheat on his fastball to get on top of it makes them very vulnerable to his like cutter slider thing. And so, you know, I really like Taj and, uh, you know, had him stuff pretty good. There are people who don't think his stuff is, is the best, um, but like the amount of strikes that they're going to be, uh, and the fastball playability and what I think that does to buoy his other stuff, I think is going to be a big deal over time. And the Rays have tended to get the most out of guys who I have been semi-skeptical of, like McClanahan and Rasmussen both were like, are these guys relievers for me? Mm -hmm. And in a pretty emphatically with in McClanahan's case, no, like he's a stud. Yeah, he's, he's a G yeah. man. I really like him. If he can stay healthy, he can be a, a true ace, I think. I would buy low on Wander Franco. Remember that this guy was dealing with like wrist and hand stuff last year. And so mm -hmm. the power was probably below what it's actually going to be. And he was still really good. You know, what's uh, frustrating though. The market didn't really dip on him. A lot of times when, when a prospect comes up and they don't pan out right away, this is kind of a fantasy trope. The market quits them like pretty aggressively. There is a little bit of a discount relative to last year, but the market has to their credit, even though it's annoying because I kind of wanted to take advantage of a dip. You haven't really seen Wander Franco go down that much. So I agree with buying him. I'm not disagreeing with you there, but I was expecting a better discount than we're actually getting. He's still a top 100 pick. Nice. Well, the other guy to make people aware of is Jonathan Aranda. He's not yes. rookie eligible anymore, so he wasn't like on our prospect lists. Um, but he's good. He can really hit. He hits left-handed. He is not a good defensive player, but neither is Isak Paredes or mm -hmm. like Harold Ramirez. And so I tend to think that he will get the lion's share of plate appearances at some combination of like third base, first base, DH. Uh, you know, the, you know, Yandy Diaz might play a mix of first and third with Aranda. I just like Aranda's bat more than those right-handed hitting guys like Paredes and Harold Ramirez. Me too. And think, you know, the Rays tend to put guys like this in position to succeed because they have so many platoon, you know, piece these guys together options. 
that their players tend to perform at you know in a rate stat way uh very very well because they're often only put in positions that they like are advantageous for their skill set yeah and we always say like oh why don't they just play them more he'd be this over that course no 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 if they played 600 plate appearances they'd be exposed to their weaknesses and the rates would definitely come down especially on the way the rays do it so i totally agree with you there love aranda's bat he's that utility guy who is a utility guy because he can't play anywhere but the bat is good enough and it's left-handed a guy who's rising up and made the top 50 this year is Kyle Manzardo. Dude can mash. Um, I'm excited about him, but I don't know if it's for this year. He's only at double A, but he will be 22. And he only played 30 games there last year, too. So I don't even know, is he going to go back to double A to start the year or go directly to triple A? But he had a monstrous season last year. What's up with Kyle Manzardo? I bet he'll split between double and triple A. He's like Vinny Pasquatino, where... It's not sexy. It's first base only. This guy doesn't have what, you know, it's not like when, when Tristan Casas walks off the bus, you're like, yes. wow, I bet that guy's got huge power. And you're right. Manzardo is like a little wispy, you know, he's kind of like all rude. He's not like that freaky in terms of sure. For contact, but, but, but you're saying like the look, you don't, yes, you're not scared of him. And then he beats you and you're like, damn, we should have given that guy more, more run. Yes, it's just freaky feel for contact, and it's going to be enough that he's probably an everyday first baseman. Uh, love him in Dynasty, probably up at some point next year. Would would expect him more to do a combo of double and triple A this year, maybe with his September call-up. I think that totally checks out. Um, Dynasty folks get in there, but uh, redrafts, you can you can tap the brakes a little bit on uh, Kyle Manzardo. I don't think you need to go there just yet. Anybody else in Tampa Bay? I mean, I know they're, they're always burning and churning through guys, especially on that pitching side, like you mentioned. Anybody else that you think could make an impact that we haven't seen before? I think the Dynasty folks want to be in on Carson Williams. Mm -hmm. uh, the 19-year-old shortstop was a two-way high school player, drafted, you know, like, let's see what happens here, and, uh, you know, really played well as a shortstop. There are swing and miss concerns, uh, enough that there's bust risk related to the hit tool, but he's also just getting to so much power. Like he's on the top 100 and I'm pretty sure that I projected him to have like a 35 rate hit tool, but there's, you know, it's a six glove at short with power. That's like not all that far off from what Willie Adamas does where he's like hitting 230, but with power and great yeah. defense. No, I, I like uh, yeah. that of the guys who are on the hundred who aren't like Curtis Mead. Um, that is the one I would I would point to the most. Obviously, if you're really into the sexy long-term upside, uh, Junior Caminero is another name. Mm -hmm. Monster, monster bat speed for a 19-year-old. There's a ton of swing and miss risk there as well. It's just like freaky power for someone who's only a teenager. Um, swing decisions are pretty questionable. Bat path is, you know, the plate coverage there is not the best. Uh, but he's on the top 100 cheerily because like his high-end range of outcomes is like, 35 plus homers. So um, I'm on, you know, the, this group to an extent. And if, if that's the type of shot you're looking to take in dynasty, those guys, and there are a lot of guys in this system. Mason hour uh, was a two way high schooler as well. Went to Missouri for a year and then transferred to a junior college and got drafted uh, like after his sophomore year. So he's still pretty young. He's only 22. Uh, he, you know, of the guys in the minors who's I would like to trade bodies with, this is guys on the short list, <laughs> absolutely yoked, like pretty decent power speed combo platter guy. So, 
Uh, he's an interesting one for Dynasty Leaguers as well. Mason Auer, that's A-U-E-R, had yes. 48 steals last year with 15 homers in 115 games. That's pretty hot there. Um, let's move on to Baltimore. They've got the big dog, Gunner. Obviously, that's uh, getting all yeah. the attention. He is well-regarded already in the market. The only guy going higher is Corbin Carroll, who we talked about on the NL episode as far as uh, impact rookies this year. You put him number one on your board, tied up with a 65 future value with Carroll. Can he also make a big impact this year? Obviously, the answer is yes there, but what kind of impact can it be? And do you see the speed coming? Because he's being regarded as power speed. We didn't really see any speed in the um, or any steals in the in the blip that he had last year, but I don't want to judge too much off of 34 games. So what can Gunner do as far as a full season in the bigs? I bet he'd steal, you know, 15 bags or so. Um, definitely if you're in an OBP league, you want to elevate this guy. Uh what used to be a, kind of a problem for him became a feature really after the 2021 season. Not only did the chase rates here come way down, but if I like showed you an in zone chart of where he's taking strikes, he is taking strikes in the parts of the zone where he is like less likely to do huge damage with shocking consistency, like something about his ability to discern strikes that are just strikes from strikes that he can damage took a huge leap at some point in, in 2021. That's huge. Uh, so I really think, you know, this is going to be like a 370 OBP guy almost right away. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm all in on, on this guy. He's going to have shortstop eligibility. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, right. So, you know, the, the, the things that he's doing there are rare for that position. Uh, in fantasy and so yeah like obviously i'm all in on this guy and, and third's kind of dry this year too so you, you can almost make a case that the third base eligibility for gunner is at least as important um at least in the short term right now uh being able to slot him over there i think people are really uh excited about that especially with a little bit of speed so gunner's the dude i think if he has anything close to a quality spring his uh 80 something adp is only going to surge from there but um, obviously, he's well covered. Let's talk a little bit about Grayson Rodriguez because they're saying he's got a good chance to make the team. And the way that they limit is they don't do a hard limit where, okay, you're done in on August 28th or whatever because you reached your innings. It'll be within the games. So they will massage him through the entire season with 80, 75 pitch outings, but maybe get him to the finish line. What do you think Grayson Rodriguez can do this year? And how much did that lat injury kind of set back what he could do for in for innings this year? Because he only threw, I think, about 80 last year. Yeah, I think that they will. I think he's got a great chance to just break in the rotation. Uh, it makes sense you know, for a number of reasons. You give him the opportunity to like be on the opening day roster and win rookie of the year and get a pick and all that stuff that they didn't do with Adley last year, mm -hmm. which like it felt at the end of the year when they were competing for a playoff spot, had Adley just been on the roster from I the know. jump. Yeah, like with the incentive there too, right? Like he should have just done it anyway because he's the dude and I think he was ready. But even with the extra incentive, they missed that boat and maybe he would have been the difference. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, Grayson, my my one word of caution here is, and this is why I ended up putting Brandon Fott with the Diamondbacks like one spot ahead of him on the 100, is Grayson's stuff was down across the board last year. And it's possible that that was just totally related to the lat injury, which – he is maybe clear of uh although shoulder and like lat stuff 
does tend to be the stuff that you really worry about becoming a chronic issue as it has for the Whitney's and Pucks and McKay's and all the guys we've talked about who mm-hmm. have been this high on a list and then done nothing, right? So um, Grayson, it was he, he was sitting 95 last year. That's down two ticks, which is preposterous, but it's true. <laughs> and he, his stuff across the board was down 200 RPMs from 2021. Now and that's right around that point where it starts to matter, right? Once you get over the 200 into the upper 100s, 200 RPM area, that's when it actually is an impact on your. Stuff. Yes. And it's anecdotal, but the fact that, you know, probably since 20, probably since 2017 at this point, Kylie McDaniel and I have been able to get good pitching data for the entire minor leagues, at least like every other year for like the last three years, year after year. And, between 2017 and 2021, we were it was like every other year. Obviously, there was no 2020 season. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does seem like there is natural variation, like in that 100 RPM range year to year. It can just be up or down uh, a little bit, totally at random. But yeah, the two and 300 RPM guys the last couple of years are, were you hurt or were you using sticky stuff? Yeah. Uh, and so like Grayson is definitely in that area where because the velo was down as well, you know, this is just natural decline, but because he's changeup oriented and his breaking balls have been more like solid to plus and now are just more solid, like that is the area where I do think there's an impact where it's still monster changeup guy, the velo is still big, but the breaking balls are now more solid, fine than they are like huge impact plus weapons. Um, so, you know, I still think like you definitely want to draft this guy. I like Kyle Bradish here too. He's not, you know, prospect eligible him. anymore. Yes. He's getting some run. I know Eno's big on him, which definitely yes. moves the market. I'm a huge fan of his talk to us about Kyle Bradish or Bra- is it Bradish? I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure it's Bradish. Okay. Um, Kyle Bradish. Yeah. About him. New Mexico state guy, driveline type delivery from, from day one, that tight, like arm spiral, uh, with like the vertical ride and, you know, not a lot of strikes. He's just the type of guy who over time misses more bats, just that vertical playing stuff. This is the type of pitcher who gets their feet wet at the the big league level and starts to sharpen, you know, their craft against better hitters uh, and just has that bat missing stuff. And they tend to take a little bit of a leap in year two, year three, the Tariq Scoobles of the world where you're like, man, this guy's stuff is really huge, but he's kind of all over the place right now. Uh, that that was Bradish last year, and I do think that there will be like uh, another another bump. He's got another gear in him, I think. Um, and now plays in a park that is friendly. You know that, that Camden used to not necessarily want your pitchers there unless they were like really really good. Now, if you take a guy who's you know just above average and put him in that park, that that could be really nice. So I think Bradish could be an absolute monster this year. Yes. Um, I like uh, Taryn Vavra as well. Graduated last year. Just my type of guy. Multi-positional, left-handed, athletic, contact-oriented. Wouldn't surprise me if he plays more than Adam Frazier this year. Yes, I agree with that. I- I'm in on Vavra as well. Like he, he doesn't have a ton of fantasy juice. In fact, Frazier might be an interesting statistical comparison for him. But I think if he's getting the PT, it could be there. Is there any, is there any punch that he can tap no. into? <laughs> so it is going to be Frazier-esque then. Yes, I think it's it's definitely going to be more like, you know, maybe maybe he hits 10, 12 homers, uh, but way more about bat-to-ball piece um, and positional versatility than than it is like actually. Could he be an power. asset on the bases then? It's possible, yes. Like, I don't know what his, his stolen base 
track record in the minors is modest, but like efficient the last two at the high minors. He has, uh, looks like he's 11 for 13. Uh, so again, you know, pretty light there in 85 games, but that's not bad. And then maybe with the rules, if Vavro can, can leverage that he gets on base a lot too. He takes, takes a lot of walks. He did even in the majors, a 12% walk yes. rate. So if he's on base a ton and Baltimore decides that they want to start running a bit more, then maybe there's uh maybe there's something there for Vavra on the fantasy angle, but I do yes, like him as a player too. Actually looking at like, the looking at the trackman data from 2022 minor leagues his like barrel proxy is freakishly high like a seven on the scale um 20 you know like 20 percent of his balls in play wow were like hit at 95 miles per hour and above and like in the air in like that impact launch angle window so maybe there is more in here than i anticipated like Tyler Soderstrom is right here on the list next to him. Who's a legit um, power guy. Right. Uh, Kyle Stowers, who's also, you know, perfect Oriole. That leads me into Stowers. Cause I like him as well. Um, is there enough there for him to hit 25 homers on like a strong side platoon? Yes. I think that that's exactly what, you know, the, the high, like the positive outcome for him is maybe 25 is a little right tail for me, but I think mm-hmm. it's going to be in that 18 to you know 25 range probably. Okay. Yeah, that's really. I, I like him a little bit of an average sink. You know, probably going to be hitting like 230s, 240s. Maybe he did a 256 last year, but needed a 339 Babbitt for it. But I think Stowers can be pretty interesting, and he's not eaten up by that park because it was the left field wall, and he's a left hander. Felix Bautista here as well. You know, I'm I'm worried about that just because his whole life he had not been able to throw strikes ever, ever, ever mm-hmm. at the bottom of a bunch of Orioles list the past handful of years, just because the stuff was it's just so gross. Seen, yeah. Right? Um, and then the guys who tend to click for a little while, like he did, I don't know, like sometimes guys actually get better and sometimes they just actually are who they've been for the last five years rather than the last five months. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so I'm worried that that's going to happen there. I, uh, I, I, I I could see that. I, I, I'm rooting for him. I love him. You know, the nickname The Mountain is what they were calling him on yeah, the broadcast. Yeah. Looks so nasty, but I totally see that risk with 35, 40-ish command. He's probably playing at more of a 40, 45 command at times last year, but I know that your grade for him was 30, 35, which I totally understand based on, on Felix Bautista's minor league numbers and now dealing with an ailment um, with, with the with the shoulder that that could be a bit risky. He's somebody that I really did love, especially coming into draft season that I've now cooled on a decent bit because command issues already there for Bautista and now shoulder trouble. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if DL hall or even Brian Baker just end up get having more saves at the end of the year than wow. Than okay. If he's if he's wild and you know, has to move out of that role. Yeah. I, I could, I could totally see that not a prospect, but also had, you know, a solid year last year. Was Dean Kramer just taking advantage of that ballpark, or is there anything there? I only had a 17% strikeout rate, which is horrible, but a 10% swinging strike rate says maybe there's a little bit of upside there. Uh, anything for a 27-year-old Dean Kramer following up uh, a, you know, a decent breakout year, at least as far as a real-life baseball standpoint? Yeah, probably uh, stay away in fantasy just because I, I do think that the strikeout component is probably going to be comfortably below average. I 45 Kramer as a prospect because you know he's a high probability inning eating four five type guy. I think you uh, nailed that at least yet last year. Yes, you know, no nothing really plus other than the command. 
Um, and so, you know, my, the, the near ready 45s on the scouting scale for me are the guys who are like on that fringe where if the Orioles made the playoffs, would this guy make their rotation in the playoffs? Like, eh, he's like on that line. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's, that's what a 45 is for me. Okay. Uh, and so probably not. Not a not a big time fantasy guy, I don't think. Let's give the dynasty folks some uh, so, something to chew on here. Jackson Holiday, the number one overall pick, number nine. Obviously, you got a sixty on him. He's light years away, but but let's let's build up the excitement. What's up with Jackson Holiday? So when Holiday was a, like a high school junior and doing all of the showcase stuff the summer before his draft year, that's when you you want to have performance like you want to see bat to ball performance in that window because it's when the guys are facing the best most concentrated talent of, of their peer group uh, much more so than the following spring even though it's closer to the draft they're just playing varsity baseball mm-hmm. in you know Oklahoma in holiday's case and it's just not the same as going to area code games and every kid you're facing that week has a D1 commit, basically. And like, yeah, you're facing seeing... your peers and not just steamrolling right. the high school circuit. Absolutely. So coming out of that period, Holiday was like his bat-to-ball to swinging strike ratio, like balls in play to swinging strikes, was 3-1, to one, which was is very, very good, and was better than like Termar Johnson's, which was like 3-2 to two coming out of that same – uh, window of time mm-hmm. and Jackson had, you know, more projectable body, better chance to stay at shortstop, arguably a better chance to, to stay at shortstop than most of the rest of the high school class. And then the following spring arrives holiday and his Oklahoma teammates, his little brother, Ethan is really good too. Um, they come to Arizona for during spring break to like work out for teams. Cause everyone's here in March still uh, during his school's spring break. So like I'll come take BP on the Padres complex on the Royals complex for scouts to watch me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he had probably put on like 15 pounds of muscle. I saw him on the Padres or the Royals complex. Uh, All the other Royals, like low level minor minor leaguers were working out on the other fields. This guy looked totally different than all of those guys. He's taking BP on a big league backfield into the teeth of like our spring West Valley wind and like comfortably putting balls out and wow. it, like folks can, I put the BP up on um, the Fangraphs YouTube page. Just look at this kid rotate. Like look at his body swivel around and how explosive he is like for a guy with those back to ball skills and, you know, who's coming into this much power and is going to probably stay at shortstop. It is just all of the things. You never want to say can't miss because we've watched enough baseball to know that people miss. But man, Jackson Holiday feels about as close as you can get to it with the with the bloodline pedigree, the skills. You know, he's not just coasting off the last name. Everything seems to be there. Yours is not the first glowing uh, report that I've heard of him. Just that that it's all there and and yes. could be relatively quick for a high schooler too. I know you put a twenty twenty eight on him because you got to you know you want to be smart about it, but. I've also heard that he might beat the time, the, the traditional timelines. All, all of the, you're right. Like I'm just going to put a stock timeline. Of on course. And, because so many things had like drew Jones shoulder ripped <laughs> when he took BP. Yeah. And like it immediately has an impact on his timeline. And so, you know, all these guys, professional athletes are just like playing, you know, uh, they're gambling with their bodies every time they 
step onto a field. Exactly. Weird stuff happens. But yeah, like, I mean, if Jackson Holiday is going to be elite, chances are he will finish this year at like double A and then spend most of next year split between like double and triple A and then be in the big leagues at some point in 2025, two years ahead of his stock 40 man timeline. Uh, but obviously, like, we don't really know what his chase is going to be like against actual pro quality stuff. And we may not know until he's facing high and double A pitching. Mm-hmm. And like, so there are all kinds of variables that we don't know yet. But, you know, in terms of like the guy who has a chance to be everything, this is one of those guys. Yeah. That uh, makes and so even though the timeline is, is that far out, like, yeah, man, like absolutely be totally in on this guy. I'm more lukewarm on some of these other guys like Colton Kowser, who I loved as an amateur and now have kind of come off of a little bit. Uh, and like Jordan Westberg and Connor Norby, like you can't really play defense anywhere. I don't think I'm more mixed on, on those guys, but not, not Jackson holiday. Okay. Good to know. Uh, people will be in their first year player drafts. Obviously he's going to be one of the top couple picks. I can't imagine he goes much lower than like probably two. One last guy, Joey Ortiz should have mentioned him when we were talking about guys potentially making an impact this year. Is he somebody who could push Jorge Mateo uh, out of some playing time there if they commit to Gunner at third and then that shortstop's open? Joey Joey Ortiz, 24 years old, had a nice two-level year last year at double and triple A. Um, really tore it up for his 26 games at triple A. Of course, that's a small sample, and the 381 Babbitt was certainly helping out. But he's a, he's got the true field, right? He can definitely hold yes. shortstop. So with the hit tool, not, to, not a whole lot of pop. But can he be a a high impact player in terms of volume, at least for Joey Ortiz? Again, if you're in like a batting average league, then and something you know Jorge Mateo turns into a pumpkin, then maybe. But like Bryce Terang, when we talked about the NL group, yes, this guy's on my culture because he can really pick it, and that doesn't really matter very much in fantasy. So, you know, the bat to ball thing here is good enough that if you're in a batting average league and this guy's going to play shortstop every day for the Orioles, fine. Um, but yeah, not, not a high priority guy for me from a fantasy standpoint, there's, there's probably not going to be very much power. Good to know. And you got to be mindful of those disconnects between why they're on Eric's list and why they would may or may not be on a fantasy list. And it really is that power versus defense aspect. Let's go over to Boston and listen, I'm actually kind of mad right now that Tristan Casas is starting to get a little love and, and could be like one of the guys of the spring um, because I was already kind of moving him up the board just after some offseason analysis and and basically on the uh, the premise that I talked about earlier where if a prospect doesn't hit immediately, he's kind of forgotten and pushed down. Casas was definitely experiencing that. Very fair fantasy price. I worry now that if he has a big spring, it's going to be a lot less fair. But I'm in on this dude. I think he's a monster. You talk about how he's a guy that walks off the bus and everyone says, oh, that guy's got it with the pop. Is Casas still a very high-end uh, you know, offensive bat prospect here, despite the modest 27 games, which of course is 27 games. So who really gives a shit, but what, what, what can we see from Casas this year? Yeah. You know, he's one we're going through the, uh, the, the top 100, like phone calls, getting feedback from people on what the list was going to look like. There's mixed reaction. He hasn't played a ton in the minors in part because he's been hurt a bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, you know, he was on that Lise Dominican Winter League team for like a week before his knee started barking at him. He's a giant kid. Uh, so there's a lot of pressure put on his lower body. You know, you've heard Alex Cora already kind of say that they're going to protect him against some lefties. He's not going to be in the lineup. There is more swing and miss happening here 
than is typical of an everyday big league first baseman. Uh, so like, you know, we got these, this data load at the end of the year from a bunch of different sources. And then we tried to recreate like Danny zips and, and Ben Clemens helped me uh, put like in perspective, some of the data that we got by like recreating the data at the big league level to have a baseline to compare guys like this to, you know, the average everyday big league first baseman. And so Casas is like a 70% overall contact guy and a 78% in zone contact guy, which at first base is actually like a little bit below average. And there are people in baseball who are worried enough about that. They thought having Casas in like my top 50 was, was overzealous, but there's so much power here. And I'm betting based on this guy's track record of hitting that, you know, it's a smaller sample because he's been hurt so much. And I think that he's going to continue to develop feel for contact and a more conservative approach at the plate that allows him to make more contact, but, you know, still just allows his natural strength to drive his, his power output in a, in a big, big way. Uh, so I'm in, uh, I could see how, because you know, he's a Red Sox guy and all that, that there's probably more hype here uh, than in other places. Yeah. And you could argue that the swing and miss portion makes him a little bit riskier than where he might be going in uh, some of these drafts. I'm a, I'm a long-term believer in, in what he's going to do offensively because of how much power I think there's going to be. Uh, but, but maybe he's overpriced at this point based on what's going to happen in terms of hype and like who he plays for and all that. That makes sense. There can be Red Sox tax, just like the Yankees tax, those top teams, you know, Dodgers, same type of deal, even though they're not a top team in terms of like, um, you know, drawing fans to the stadium, the Rays prospects can have a little bit of a tax as well because we trust them as an organization so much. So I totally get that. Yes. Uh, Sedane Raffaella made the list and he was a top 50 guy at 49 Nice two-level season at high in double-A last year. Going to be 22. Is he somebody who can make an impact this year? Is there any room there for him? Yeah, I think when you start looking at what's happening in center field for Boston, that it's possible he will. He's so interesting, and he's a pretty tough eval. He's one of the more chase-prone players in all the minor leagues, and you know his pitch recognition is not good, so there's risk there that he's just going to chase everything no one's ever going to throw him a strike he's just going to get himself out at the big league level Uh, his report reads a lot like christian pache's did where it's like hey his defense is so good and there's going to be the power plays like he's going to hit 18 plus bombs and you know strike out a ton and have like a 310 obp but he's gonna hit like 20 bombs and play elite defense in center field and pache's issues have been bad enough that he hasn't done anything Mm-hmm. Uh, it's possible that this guy takes that line, but he, how good he is in center field for having only just started to play there a couple of years ago and still mixing in infield work with what he's doing. It's pretty absurd. And so when Adam Duvall is your projected <laughs> starting center, he's field, not blocking or, anybody off. You don't think so? <laughs> I like Adam Duvall. And I do too, but he's not blocking a, a true center fielder off. Absolutely. Right. So I have to believe that at some point this guy is just going to be up because he can really go get it out there. And yes, like there is power playability, just like looking at what the, how much lift there is when this guy does make contact, there's probably going to be power. 
So again, like he's higher on my list than he probably should be for fantasy people because part of what's driving my evaluation is elite center field defense projection. Yes. But also he's pretty fast. He does have pull power. He still has room to fill out. And so there might even be more power as he continues to mature physically. So, you know, as a multi-year play in Dynasty, sure. Do I think he's up at some point? Probably, like, just because of the defense. But there's a lot of risk here because his approach is so bad. That makes total sense. Uh, let's go to the top of their scale there. Marcelo Meyer, fourth overall pick back in 2021. Obviously, people know him. A lot of that big expectation. Still a few years off for sure. Uh, when can we expect to maybe see him, though? What, what's what's this outlook? What, what's this season's outlook look like? Is it going to be a high minors type of year for him? Uh, maybe knocking on the door, or is there no chance for any 20, 2023 potential? I don't think that he's a 2023 Deb. Uh, I think there's maybe a little bit more risk here. Uh, I have him a level below Jackson Holiday. Like him and Jordan Lawler, basically, I felt a little less good about their long term hit tool projection than some of the other guys who I just like slam dunk, put a 60 on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm a hold on Marcelo right now. I think it's going to be more mid minors. Maybe he finishes at double a and so re- return to high a and then get to double a this yes. year. Okay. Um, and then he's just 20. So he's not like behind schedule. The thing to be sensitive, and maybe I'm over, uh, like fitting this visual pattern that I've recognized, but some of the guys who swing with a stiff front side, the way Marcelo does tend to be exposed by major league off-speed stuff that they end up swinging over. They, they're they not mm-hmm. like dipping with their lower half to get to that pitch in the bottom third of the strike zone and below. And so that's Kelnick. That's Spencer Torkelson. And it might be Marcelo Meyer, whose swing otherwise is so beautiful. Like you can totally see why this guy's been an absolute dude since he was a high school sophomore. Like yeah. I went in to see Keone Cavaco, the twins took in the first round a couple of years ago. I remember him. Went to high, he was a senior when Marcelo was a, a sophomore at the same high school in uh, San Diego. And that's a nice every duo. Scout, two first round picks on the was, team. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Like to go in there to like this high school field and just watch these two guys <laughs> to <laughs> launch. Um, but like every scout, every single one who I talked to at the field that over those couple of days uh, were like, See the sophomore oh, playing third base right now? Way better than the guy who's going to go in the first round. Like way, way better. And they were right. And they were right. Okay. Um, so like Marcelo has been good the whole time. He's done nothing but perform the whole time. I am just slightly apprehensive about what is happening with his swing such that there might be something exposed later. And so in a dynasty format, like he is a hold for me. He would probably be on my board in a place where I don't end up with him. Because I'm just a little bit, I'm just rounding down a little bit compared to the other power hitting shortstops in the minors. Okay, I think that's fair. Uh, the other top guy that they have in the in the top twenty is Miguel. Is it Blaise? Blaise. 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 Uh, B l e i s. Young buck, but remarkably exciting. Um, light years away right now. Nineteen years old. You gave him some nasty future grades yeah. though, with the sixty five game, the seventy raw. So he's got a 55 future value at age 19, tore up the complex for 40 games this year. Uh, what's the trajectory for Blaze? Yeah, so this is one where I'm just, you know, as we were doing the 100, I was just like, F it, I'm in. It's insane bat speed. The body still has room for growth. He might be able to stay in center field while developing power. Like 
you know, maturing physically in that Goldilocks zone where you stay up the middle and have huge power. He's another one where you look at the surface level walk and strikeout rates on the complex, and they are a little bit concerning because guys don't throw strikes on the complex, and you should walk more than 7% of the time. Exactly. Whatever it is he walked at. Like, but the underlying data suggests that his chase rates are actually closer to like average, that he is swinging at strikes when he decides to swing. And so his walk rate may just be superficially low uh, and might like, you know, buoy as he climbs minors. There's just more, there's underlying evidence that that will be true. Uh, so yeah, like huge upside, definitely a dynasty league guy, probably going to take a couple of years to get there, but uh, big, big upside, just elite bat speed. Again, this is one of those guys where the, the metric that is measuring you making hard contact with launch. This guy is like breaks the scale for his age. When you adjust it for the age uh, of Miguel Blaze, he's like a, you know, he's an 80 on the scale. It's not a present 80 on the big league scale, but for yeah. a teenager doing it, if you're adjusting for age, it is elite. So felt free to really, really juice him up away from some of the other high variance teenage hitters on our top 100. And uh, yeah, like it was a combination of the visual, like, wow, look at this guy swing and some of the underlying data. I like, I like that you took your shot with him, put him up there at 20. Yeah. That's definitely standing out to say, Hey, I'm in, I'm a Gale blaze. Um, look, some pictures, Brian Bayo, I believe he graduated last year, yeah. um, but he's somebody that should have an opportunity to, to make more impact this year. I feel like he started to come together toward the end of the season. Uh, what's Brian Bayo's outlook this year? Is he ready to take a step forward and build on some of that uh, late season production that he had? Yeah, I think, you know, Bayo for me, when he first popped up on the radar, it was like, hey, is this guy a reliever? Like, look at his delivery. And uh, but he's always thrown strikes. And these guys with potentially plus plus change ups and huge velocity, even if the shape of their fastball isn't optimal, they tend to, to, to outperform what I end up evaluating them as so Bayo was like a high 50 future value when he graduated like somewhere close to like 45th on the list um he's probably gonna be better than that like Luis Castillo is the example of the guy who I totally whiffed on like yeah he throws hard but look at the shape of his fastball and like there's not really a good breaking ball here yet and but super athletic power arm you know that tailing action on their fastball they find a way to, to make it work and then the angle of their fastball, they can work up the letters. And Bayo's got some of these characteristics too. So, yeah, I, I think that he's got a, a chance to take a pretty substantial leap. I'll also point at Brandon Walter, who he was hurt last year. His velo was down. If folks see him in a spring training game and his velo is back into that like 92 to 95 range, you should be in on that guy. That's another one where like, you know, had, had I done that top 100 list like three weeks from now, and he was throwing hard again during spring training. Like he would just be on there. He went um, crazy at double A. Yes. Last year, Brandon Walter did lefty for, for Boston. Going to be 26 as well. So kid gloves can be off. They don't really need to protect him. If he's healthy and ready to go, it's it's time, right? Yes. That's that's definitely a name I think people want to be sensitive to. Uh, of the other like 40-man guys who aren't projected onto Boston's opening day roster, like on roster resource. And then mm -hmm. uh, Emmanuel Valdez, who they got from – Houston in what did they trade Christian Vasquez to Houston? That was the Vasquez deal, I believe. Yes. Uh, I've always been pretty low on Valdez, even though he's raked through the minors because I don't think he can play defense anywhere, but he can really hit. 
and he had a homer yesterday. It was piped, so I'm skeptical. But he's one where, as I get ready to do the Red Sox list here in the next couple of weeks, um, I I am gonna like peel, you know, all strip down my evaluation of this guy and try to look at him with fresh eyes, just because the performance in the minors has been so so good. So mm-hmm. that's another one people want to, you know, kind of be careful with it and monitor that situation. Okay, that's end mail. Uh... And Manuel Valdez. Valdez for Boston. Let's move over to Cleveland, the pitching factory. Obviously, that is uh, definitely what they're known for, but I, they put in some nice uh, hitters into the into the league lately, too. They do have Brian uh, Bonaler, excuse me, as their top guy, uh, number 45. Now, he's a catcher, so catchers are always going to get boosted on your list relative to a fantasy list. In fact, I think they kind of work, uh, you know, completely opposed to each other where catchers should be pushed down on fantasy lists just because they can take some time to actually finally start hitting. Yes. He's the brother of Josh, but they went out and got two veterans uh, Zunino as the starter and then non-roster invite of Cam Gallagher. Would Naylor be up as somebody who's a part-timer or do they need him down in the minors playing every day so that if he does, if Zunino's healthy, then Naylor's not in the majors. What, what do you think Bo Naylor's outlook is this year? Yeah, I think if as long as Zanino is healthy, then I imagine Bo will be uh, at Columbus. Okay, but I do think if he's up and playing consistently, even if he's only in like a 50-50 timeshare with Cam Gallagher or Brian Lavastida, uh, who's you know the other forty-man catcher, who's kind of interesting by the way. But um, but that yeah, like there's enough power here that it's you know at catcher he's probably making a fantasy impact for you. Um, that makes sense. The other Cleveland guys, like they have so many of these up the middle kind of hitterish dudes who are blocked by Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez. Exactly. And it would take an injury. It seems from those two, because they both broke out last year and look like, yeah. you know, the, the keystone combo for years to come. Brian Rocchio is the name that people might be most familiar with is the highest rated of that group on your list here at 54. Does he have enough hit to be fantasy juice, or is it back to some of those Taron Vavra, Joey Ortiz types that we were talking about with Baltimore, where there's maybe not enough heat there? I think the, it's weird. The Rokio issue is his throwing. Over the winter in Venezuela, he kind of had the yips. He was really struggling oh. to throw. They were, his Venezuelan Winter League team was playing him at second base. So seeing how that looks this spring is going to be pretty important. But otherwise, I do really like him as a long-term up the middle, second base shortstop, switch hitting, well-rounded, you know, contact and power combo. Uh, probably not a star, just like a good everyday infielder. Uh, he is behind Gabe Arias and Tyler Freeman on the depth mm-hmm. chart. And like Tyler Freeman is the, you know, he can, he's like uh, DJ LeMahieu is, is what Tyler Freeman might be, where there's like 70 bat-to-ball skills and maybe eventually – he'll learn to impact the baseball with some, some power. Um, yeah. And he, he has patience too, right? Freeman. He, he takes walks. Sure. Yeah. Like, I think so. Um, I mean, he didn't have his major league sample. Actually, no, he hasn't in the minors. Yeah. Never it's mind. actually pretty that, low. So that's a thing that, uh, okay. I, that I got misguided by OTP on that. He developed an eye because in, in the franchise that I kept, kept referencing during the NL league, he's like this eye master. Like he's seriously taking like 14% walks. So I was like, Oh, there's probably a basis for that. It seems like he talent changed in the video game, but yeah, he doesn't take uh, many walks. He's just that heavy contact minuscule swinging strike rates. But like you said, doesn't make, uh, doesn't have much power. So it's going to be kind of an empty batting average for Tyler Freeman. What about Arias? What, what can he do? He he's projecting to make the team as a backup. Yeah. Um, probably not enough playing time, but what, if he fell into playing time, would there be anything there? 
Yeah, I think if, if he suddenly became, you know, an everyday player, there's going to be power there. He's another frustrating guy because his approach is so bad. But, you know, I think it's telling that when they just needed somebody to play first base in the playoffs that they pointed at Gabe Arias and said, like, I know you've never done this, but right, go try it against the fucking Yankees in the playoffs. <laughs> it's, just, it's just the playoffs. Don't worry. Just go I think play a whole, brand new position. The whole middle infield situation here is probably a stay away just because the field is so crowded. Mm-hmm. Um, all these guys in the 40, man, like Jose Tena and Angel Martinez and – uh, Juan Brito, we got in a trade from the Rockies, who I like. Um, I would probably stay away just because it is so crowded with these types of up the middle guys. Where I do think there's opportunity here is I'm not an Oscar Gonzalez guy, me neither. I think the clock is going to strike midnight on, on that guy. He's I, just I couldn't agree more. One of the most aggressive hitters in all the professional baseball. Uh, and I think Will Brennan. Is is the name who's maybe being underserved here? That's that's maybe I don't think he's like Stephen Kwan or anything like that, but I do think that there's plus bat to ball skill. He can play center field. Uh, he is just a more stable type of hitter than Oscar is. They moved uh, the other will be out in Will Benson to kind of clear yes. up some of that clutter, and he was the opposite of Brennan, where he's an all or nothing power guy. Whereas Brennan, like you said, good bat to ball, maybe a little bit of speed, can hold center. So I'm with you on the Oscar Gonzalez fade, which does kind of put me on Brennan in some of those deeper formats because he could be the the you know the the primary pickup there uh, to get that playing time. Yes, I think that's he's a guy who. On the the Guardians list, I might have ended up being a little too light on. And even more so than George Valera, in 2023, I would rather have Will Brennan. Um, And then, you know, yeah, this is a pitching factory. You mentioned it before. Uh, I don't know who from – if there's anybody who's not on the 40-man right now who might surpass some of the guys who are. I do like Tanner Bibby and Logan Mm -hmm. Allen. More than I like Xavion Curry and Joey Cantillo, who are both on the 40. Curry uh, Curry screams impact reliever at, at his best. I yeah, totally see that. It's just a guy who like lives off his fastball angle, doesn't throw all that hard as a starter, but if you put him in a single inning role, maybe there's more more in there. And yeah, yeah, you're talking about not quite like a Karen Chack fastball, but it it plays for some of the same reasons that Karen Chack's plays mm-hmm. um and then obviously cody morris there as well Co- i'm cody collecting morris. body parts and do you have any spare body parts i just want to get all the spare <laughs> body parts i can have and just send them to him because i want him to stay healthy so badly i love cody morris but he's already ailing yes. yet again and that is the giant factor here is just that right. we don't know when he's going to pitch but when he is sounds like you're in on him uh along with me sure yeah that's another one where he's gonna he's gonna be lower on my list because his Injury history just impacts his evaluation. Mm-hmm. It's inextricable when you're talking about Cody Morris, like how often and he's been hurt and how severe some of those issues have been are just part of how you have to think about him and line him up. Uh, but if he's healthy and in the big leagues, like whatever, his stuff is really nasty. So I don't think he's going to get saved just because Emmanuel Classe and is a G. Yeah. Right. Like in Trevor Stepan is good too. And they feel pretty confident in, him i have to imagine considering that he was like you know the, the bridge to the end of the game was him karen shack and class a so i have to think that that is how the closer like priority list lines up uh, in cleveland right now but yeah cody morris if you're in a deep enough league where a guy working 
three or four innings out of the bullpen and striking out like six or seven guys is is meaningful to you, then then that's the type of guy who maybe you want on the bottom of your roster. Yeah, and if he can find some magic health, he could start, take over for police sack. But right now, I had a lot of hype for Cody Morris. I still do, but it really is that draft champions where you're doing the 50 rounds. As we move into the NFBC leagues where you're drafting standard reserve rosters and all that, I think he's more of a put-him-on-your-watch-list type of guy as far as Cody Morris goes. All right, let's go to the White Sox. Now, they don't have a ton. Uh, Prospects have not really been their big game lately, but they did get a a pretty high-rated one in Colson Montgomery, who you have as a 55, rated at number 35. Um, And he hit double-A last year, so is there there a path for impact this year for Colson Montgomery? Only 14 games there, so I think it's a split double-A, triple-A season. But if he crushes, could could he hit the majors this year? It would be pretty aggressive. I suppose I can see scenarios where, like, Yuan Moncada continues to really struggle, and Elvis Andrews is old, and that doesn't really work. And you know, I, you know, Larry Garcia kind of plays all over the place. Maybe he's the first one who they're like, just go, you know, be okay at one of those two spots if the other mm-hmm. two guys are terrible. But yeah, it's tough because Colton, you know, he. He's just still so he's not that young because he was 19 years old when he was drafted. Yeah. But he's still but pretty young. He's still young. So he's 21. You know, he's in, in the mid minors right now. There are other upper level infielders who I feel like deserve some amount of opportunity, including Jose Rodriguez and Lennon Sosa, who are both flawed players, but I do think that they are like big league role players of some kind. Uh, and so I wouldn't anticipate that Montgomery is up at all in, in 2023. But he is a good long-term prospect. Both he and Brian Ramos, Cuban third baseman, uh, are just you know well-rounded, contact power, very athletic. Montgomery still probably got long-term power projection because he's you know he's built like a two-guard. He's six-four, mm-hmm. probably two-ten at this point. Has that you know strapping, broad-shouldered frame going on. Uh, probably going to move to third base at some point just as he fills out. But uh, you know the the bat-to-ball performance was very very encouraging. Uh, throughout 2022 my looks at him last spring were like i kind of left luke warm and then just the way he performed throughout the, the year you know unassailable at this point great long-term prospect for dynasty leaguers probably not a 2023 guy i think that's totally fair uh brian ramos hit the list um he's raw you know it's just even though he's so raw he's performed yeah. you know he tends to chase defensively mistake prone this and that but Despite all that, he just keeps hitting and hitting and hitting, and he's so talented. And so, yeah, I think Brian Ramos eventually is going to just be an everyday player too, but um, Probably yeah, not he has to year. improve defensively. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Uh, anybody else jump out that they have? I'm trying to see. They don't really have anybody on the 40 that I would even call prospect adjacent right now. Yeah, maybe Sean Burke, um, reliever, starter line guy for me. But okay. Big frames, another like two sport guy, uh, as like a high school prospect, could have played college basketball. Uh, went to Maryland. Velo really took it, took a, a leap there. Um, but, but other than them, like really cutting bait and bullpenning him, I don't see anybody else here who, who sticks out as like prospect E. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
they've, they've got who they've got. And, you know, sp speaking of like hoping for health to get the best, if Eloy stays healthy, I still think there's a 40 homer season coming. So I guess Oscar Colas, there are people who like oh, yeah, Oscar yeah, Colas sorry. more than me. Uh, I think people would be mad if I didn't at least bring him up. I hear you on that. Is it the, the swing and miss? Like, because it yeah. seems like it's going to be extreme. But if he can connect enough, there is real power there, right? Yes. And I, I don't think he sucks. I just think that he's a platoon guy. Yeah. That at the end of the day, he he's chase prone enough that he's not just going to be out there every day or in every situation. That there's it's going to be the seventh inning, and in comes you know Sam Hentges, and there's going to be a call for Jake like Berger. a right-handed bat off the yeah. bench. Yeah, for Oscar Colas. And so not a guy who I'm going to stuff on my hundred because I do think there's like, you know, somewhat limited utility there. But yeah, fantasy players should know who he is. He is huge power. You know, huge left-handed power. So if he's up, if they have enough confidence to just slam dunk him in a corner outfield spot at some point this year, because Benintendi ain't cutting it or Gavin Sheets, you know, regresses or whatever it is, mm -hmm. uh, then I think he's probably rosterable. But you know, he's not a top 100 guy for me. Totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought him up because I would have uh, forgotten him and then Ben yelled at in the comments. Let's move over to Minnesota. Man, I am so bummed for Royce Lewis retearing yeah. that ACL because I still think there's massive upside there. Now, how much does a second ACL tear cut into his ceiling, though? Because obviously his athleticism, his speed is part of the overall package here. That seems like it has to have some impact. But where do you stand on Royce Lewis uh, looking to be back, I think, in like June of this year, maybe? Yeah, I think June would be about a year since he tore it. Um, yeah, you know, Royce Lewis is one of those guys who I think in the public – prospect realm we just keep betting on because we know he wants it so bad yeah. <laughs> like yes. he's just so talented and he seems like so driven and like just an outstanding young guy that we all just think at some point he's going to be a good big league baseball player uh he's probably going to play a multi-positional role for them now that correa's back mm -hmm. uh, it seemed like he might be the guy who just played shortstop for them at some point this year but now that Correa's back it's probably in a multi-positional role uh, he's probably a stay away from a fantasy standpoint. He's just so volatile, how much time he's missed, all the swing changes that he was undergoing when he was hitting. Like, uh, you know, I feel free to bet on him in this space because of his personhood and, and his talent and just think eventually it'll be fine. Yeah. But yeah, from a fantasy standpoint, like, just stay away. Let him prove that that he can actually do it before you buy him in fantasy. I think. Especially like you know maybe an AL only where you have like unlimited ILs, so you can just park him. Sure. But anything where you're having to hold on to him uh, until June, July for Royce Lewis, you can't do it. You can't give up that precious bench spot if it's like the NFBC model where there's only seven reserves and that's it. But maybe as a summer pickup. But uh, yeah, I, I keep rooting for him. I'm gonna keep betting on him as far as that goes. Uh, but I am nervous, uh, yeah, obviously, with the injuries. Speaking of the injuries piling up, this one is a consistent injury and it's no longer a prospect, but Alex Kirloff and that wrist, maybe we should start collecting extra wrists for him because we're dealing with it again. It saps the power. Where do we stand on him coming into the year already having the wrist barking again? Yeah, it's not great. Um, Kirloff's swing has always worked in sort of a unique way that I do think is dependent on his wrists, like, being strong and maybe it's actually put stress on them in a way that has been detrimental. It's maybe irresponsible of me to say, like, I don't want to be that injury, you know, <laughs> that, yeah, the guy that's ball little... guy. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, like Kirloff's swing has always been kind of strange and it's worked for him. And I was in on him as well. 
but now that it's just been long enough, and I, again, like the middle infield situation in Cleveland, the lefty corner guy, lefty hitting corner guy situation in Minnesota is crowded enough that it's probably a stay away from me uh, until Max Kepler gets traded if he does. Yep. But Kirloff, Gallo, Matt Walner, Trevor Larnick, uh, really like all of that guy. I guess Edward Julian is sort of in that mix at this point too. Especially yeah, saw him at the fall league. Talking about like DH type guys. Um, so, you know, Walner, uh, Matt Walner's huge power guy, a lot of swing and miss. Think that, you know, most of this group, the Larnick, Walner, uh, Gallo, Kirilov, it's like corner platoon at this point. I don't know that any of them is actually going to hit enough to uh, play every day the way I think like Jose Miranda does. But, um, you know, Kirilov already had some approach issues. Walner's definitely going to swing and miss a ton. Obviously, Gallo does too. Yeah. I think Trevor Larnick, if I'm going to bet on someone to emerge as like a true everyday option, I would bet on Larnick, I guess. Uh, but I do think that that situation is is mostly a stay away. Yep, I think that that's completely fair. I know Kirilov still has his believers, but uh, I'm, I'm not going to be joining them here right now. Brooks Lee, obviously a long way out, but a lot of upside for him. He's a 19, the 19th rated prospect. What can fantasy, uh, what can dynasty folks look forward to with Brooks Lee? Yeah, Brooks Lee, uh, switch hitting, shortstop, contact, power, the whole shebang. Had some medical stuff as an amateur that kind of forced him down some draft boards. There were some teams who had him totally off. Their draft boards coming uh, out of high school because he already had like some pretty severe injury stuff. I think the Twins are going to move him really quickly. I think that uh, there's a chance that you know he's in the big leagues as their third baseman within a year or two. Mm -hmm. uh, just a damn good baseball player. You know, you get some of these guys who get drafted, and then you talk to pro like drafted high, and then you talk to pro scouts who have seen them late in the summer, and they're like, "Wait, this guy went tenth, like." <laughs> really? And Brooks Lee's one of those guys where, you know, pro scouts were like, wait, he lasted to seventh overall. Like how he's really good, you know? So, um, I like Brooks Lee a lot. He's definitely more of a dynasty guy than he is a, a 2023, but, um, him and Edward Julian, I, I think for next year are maybe worth uh, a look, Okay, but probably not this year, especially if you're in an OBP league, Edward Julian, Maybe has the best approach in all of minor league baseball. Yeah, uh, ton, tons of uh, patience for Julian. Yeah. So yeah, he doesn't have a position. He's kind of they're trying to get him to play second base, which is what has you know been the goal since he went to Auburn. Like, let's try to can we get this guy to play second base? Um, and he really can't. So uh, it's like left field DH. Even if you move him to left field, there's got to be a transition period there where he like becomes more comfortable out there. Uh, and so that is bats. probably challenged in the corner a little bit right because he doesn't quite have the pop i mean i know i know I'm in. Home run derby oh you think he can the power can be there yes. okay i I'm think rating it i'm underrating it i think that there's yeah like i think it'll be above average okay. power and that like, can hold because the plate skills are there and then yes. if he has enough power then edward julian can be a corner outfield he just needs to learn the position as far as the the movements out there in left. Okay. That's, that's great. Then um, I, I was worried that he might not have the offensive profile to be out there, but that definitely works as far as pitchers. Uh, Simeon Woods Richardson is somebody that folks definitely know came over in the Brios deal. Yeah. Uh, Josh Winder got time last year. Probably Either of them making too. an impact. Pardon me. Yeah. Like a bunch of these guys from this group have been hurt. Yeah. Winder's been hurt. Is up there too. 
Yeah, Belazovic has been hurt. Simeon stuff has kind of come and gone. Uh, but he like traveled a bunch last year too. He did like Team USA stuff in o- overseas, and so uh, the you know this group, Ronnie Enriquez is the guy who I like the most, just because like as I'm sifting through guys, I just want the best on mound athletes, mm-hmm. and of this group, like Ronnie Enriquez is the one. But you know he was he had a pretty rough go in his little big league stint last year, so. Um, yeah, like you love the established guys in their rotation, but obviously a bunch of them have been hurt. Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray has been hurt a ton over the, you know his lifetime yeah. as a, a big leaguer. Pretty much the whole group except Joe Ryan has hella injury right. concerns. So I do think that some of these guys are going to be up. Um, if Winder is healthy and like throwing hard, then he's the one I'm, uh, you know, I'd be comfortable having on my fantasy team. Okay. Uh, long-term Enriquez is my guy. I think Belazovic is like, stay away at this point. He got, didn't he get a bar fight a couple weeks ago too? Yeah. Like it's, it's been tumultuous for Belazovic and I'm not sure. I'm not sure where Yeah, I think he had to have his jaw wired shut. Like he, so he got, he got in a fight and then he he got his ass kicked. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, uh, I don't know. We don't, we don't know what the other guy's dealing with, but uh, yeah, not, not great there. I don't want to make too many judgments off of that and be like, Oh, I can't draft him because he lost a bar fight, but (laughs) it's not great right now. Belazovic. So yeah. uh, that's this whole plan. group on the 40 man is so interesting. And a lot of them, like Cole Sands has a really nasty breaking ball. And so does Louis Varland and Brent Hedrick's got one of those like magic fastballs. That's not hard, but plays anyway. Mm-hmm. Maybe lefty Joe Ryan type. Yes. Um, and Matt Canarino uh, from rice, you know, three plus pitches, but his delivery is awful. And he's been hurt a bunch too. Cause he went to rice and that's like what the, is mandatory when you go yes. to rice. You just got to get hurt. A bunch, so. If you're too healthy, they'll they'll tan, Tanya Harding you in the freaking. Uh, <laughs> no, it's a very old reference, but uh, yeah, no, I I see a bunch of guys here. They're interesting. Someone could emerge. It's hard to say who to go for right now. So maybe just wait to see how it plays out because there probably will be injuries on their starting staff. And if Winder comes up, I'm I'm with you. I go for him. But if any of these other guys emerge, I think Minnesota's done a good job, kind of having some of these guys pop off a little bit here and there, and maybe a Varland has a uh, streamer spell or Hedrick or, or Canarino, if he can stay healthy. So just keep it tabs on them. They're all kind of deep league guys right now, regardless though. Right. Yes. Um, and then the only two I'd point out for dynasty leaguers are Emmanuel Rodriguez mm-hmm. who destroyed low a in a pretty small sample. I wasn't comfortable enough to throw him on the hundred yet. There was definitely some support in the industry for that though. Uh, struck out 26 percent yeah 26 percent k rate at at low a uh, you know and the slug and the overall performance was it was just like a like a month and a half sample or something like that so wasn't comfortable doing it yet but people should know who he is uh and then david festa who's like six seven drafted him out of seton hall one of those guys like Cade povich uh in the Orioles system who the twins drafted and then traded for jorge lopez where it's Mm -hmm. like Really great body for a college pitcher, you know, six four and up. Really, you know, has that that uh, Michael Kopech look to the body, um, and then you hope that an athlete like that you can get to throw harder. And Festa has started to like. I'm getting reports that he's, you know, last year even the velo was way way up. Uh, this seems to be the guy who other teams are the most interested in when they're talking to like the Twins about trades and stuff mm-hmm. um he was a pick to click of mine who it wouldn't surprise me if he's on next year's top 100 david festa 
Excellent. David Festa from Minnesota. Yeah, I see him in the strike throwers here with an interesting group of names. So keep tabs on him. Let's move to my Tigers. Obviously, uh, things are bleak. Yeah, and they had, you know, they had that moment in the sun where their system was very rated, uh, highly rated with all the pitchers on the cusp and torque and all that. And now they're back in the shit zone. Uh, let's talk about torque. You know, watching him day in, day out last year, it was this weird disconnect where obviously the results were not there. But at no point did I not think that he was a big leaguer. Like I'm like, he, he, I feel like he's still going to be fine. I really do. Now, you mentioned that stiff front side there and the trouble with stuff lower in the zone. And as soon as you said that, I had like a montage of swinging over pitches for strike three just go in my head where I'm like, oh, yeah, now that kind of checks out. But where are you at on a year two with Torque? Because he is fitting that fantasy realm where it's that he's forgotten now. He is so cheap. Yeah. So if you're interested in him, you can get him cheap. But is he worth jumping in on? Obviously, a former number one, Spencer Torkelson. What do you think? It would it would be so crazy for him to have been as amazing as he was in college and then be a bad big leaguer, right? It would. I'm not really just saying be that because it's my favorite team either, but it's just like that would be crazy for him to just fall off into nothing. Historically good college hitter to not be anything like that seems unlikely so maybe he will end up there's a there's a different you know level of physical ability between these two guys but you know andrew vaughn was similarly incredible in college and then had a pretty terrible initial big league season at age you know 23 mm -hmm. and then that got better still wasn't huge and his you know he was below water from a war standpoint because of his defense but like you know, offensively, Andrew Vaughn's 2022 was pretty good. Yeah. Um, so I think, like, there will be a similar trajectory here where you will see Torque get better. Um, I don't know. I don't know how that specific issue can get corrected. Like, maybe he should skip leg day once in a while. Like, <laughs> so he's just not so tightly. A little bit more flexi uh, flexibility there. But I, you know. Torque, the only thing, like the only fantasy type thing I do is a sim league. And it's essentially a dynasty league. Like, you, you know, you have a 40-man roster and you keep 25 guys, mm -hmm. spit 15 guys back into the draft pool. And then anyone who made their big league debut that year uh, is also in the draft pool. So Torque was in our draft this year in January. And uh, I traded my first round pick for you, Darvish. So I did not have a first rounder. That's a good and, um the almost all of the first round goes by and torque has not gone yet. And I am like frantically like trying to trade back into the, back <laughs> of the first round. Cause at some point I was like, really like, this is how far this guy's fallen. That's what I'm saying. Fantasy does that. Like they just buried it. And that's why I thought we'd get, not that I thought wander would be buried to go back to that real quick, but I thought he'd be outside the top 100 just based on the way this happens. But no, he stayed top 100, but yeah, torque definitely took the massive hit. I'd be shocked if he wasn't what I consider a 50. Like if he didn't eventually become at least a 50, I would be pretty surprised by that. And like I have to think that some of that improvement is going to show itself already here in, in 2023. I, I think so too. And I think the life of like certain decision-making people, obviously there have been changes here already, but like he kind of has to get an opportunity. Like yeah. You have to give this guy a chance to prove to you that he sucks before you decide that he does. Got to get at least a thousand plate appearances. He had 400 last year. So another full season this year. 
And if it's another 76 WRC plus, okay, I think we start to have some some hard talks. I just I don't see that. And I think the Vaughn comparison that you made with regards to the, the statistical trajectory, that makes a lot of sense. Funny enough, Vaughn was somebody I was desperately hoping the Tigers would get, but he went number three and they ended up getting Riley Green that year. So let's shift over to Riley Green. He's coming into his second season as well, no longer a true prospect, but definitely somebody that fantasy folks are interested in. I'm a little bit cooler on his fantasy outlook. I don't know where the juice comes from. I know that the, the walls are certainly going to help him. He's got some raw that he can tap into, but he doesn't run much. And I maybe I just heard one thing and I anchored on it, but I used to hear like Michael Brantley comps, and I'm not seeing that sort of batting average capability or the speed that Brantley had early in his career. So where are we at on Riley Green? Does he still have sky-high upside? And what does it translate to fantasy-wise? That's a great question. Yeah, I don't think Riley Green's never been like a center fielder for me. I know that mm -hmm. he played there last year. He just doesn't have that kind of long speed. I don't think he's going to make much of an impact in, in a stolen base uh, category for, for anyone. But I do think like he can really hit. There's going to be 20 plus homers. I would expect, you know, 18 to 22 bombs this year. Just very, very precocious. He was the age of the of a college hitter last year. Yeah, 21 in the majors and put up a league average, you know, 98 WRC plus. That is holding your own there just fine. Yes. I think the stink of the Tigers made that feel worse. But if, 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 say, the Tigers had actually panned out to what they were supposed to be, which was like a high 70s, low 80s win type team that's starting to move forward, and then he did that, I think there would be a lot more excitement but because everything else kind of sucked, it's like, yeah, he sucked too. And it's like, well, he did, Green didn't suck, but he also didn't light the world on fire. He's one of those guys where watching him run, you're like, Ugh, this is, is this guy athletic <laughs> at all? But when you watch him swing, that is the area where you're like, yeah, wow, look at this, how explosive this guy is. And look at him unwind from the ground up. And, you know, I see that the projection systems have him as like a two war guy, uh, you know, hitting about, 250 with like a slug just south of a 400. I would probably take the over on that a little bit. Um, and yeah, if like that, I think if what you're saying about like team, like fantasy people, his ADP is indicates people are kind of coming off of him relative to his prospect clout. Then I think that's an interesting buy low opportunity. Cause I, I, I really believe that this guy is going to be like a middle of the order force for the duration of his career. Okay. So Riley green, positive green arrow up um all like right. if you told me hey take dylan cruz or riley green in dynasty right now i would take riley green okay dylan cruz number one guy uh lsu got to see him last night live and in person while playing university of texas certainly looked the part but uh that is that is a good endorsement there because usually people are going for the next big thing in dynasty and i think a lot of people would have shifted over to cruz and you're still on green there so that is a nice uh comment there in favor of green is Kerry Carpenter basically what I was saying about Kyle Stowers? Can he be a, a 20, 25 homer type guy with, with the Tigers this year on a yeah. strong side platoon? I actually think so. I think that he's one of those guys who maybe just slipped through our cracks entirely because he broke out at age 24. 24 at double A, no less. Right. Um, but he's one of those guys who, as I was working on the 100, and Tess and I were kind of combing through, hey, who performed at like – you know, a uh, 40% above league average level. Like, let's just do our due diligence on all these older guys just to make sure, um, which is part of how like Addison Barger popped up for us. Mm -hmm. And then as we, I started to work on Carpenter, 
I thought, you know, this guy, I think this guy might be a fucking dude. And he graduated last year. So like barely. Um, and so like, he's one of those guys who maybe just like totally slipped through the cracks and like, wasn't on a prospect list ever, but is actually good. So I, I'm inclined to, to buy Carrie Carpenter. Um, if I'm just looking at the, some of the underlying crack man stuff as like an indication as to whether or not that's true, just about everything, uh, across the board is above average. And that's mm-hmm. even when we're adjusting for his age, um, at 25. So 83% in zone contact, pretty good. About 76% overall contact, which is more just okay. Uh, chase rate at 28%. That's about the big league average. Actually, the big league average is 32%, but the minor league average is about 28%. Um, because guys just don't have chase worthy stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the power playability stuff here is all also like comfortably above average, not huge, but he's left-handed. He's kind of backed into having like weird, uh, positional flex just because like he's one of those guys sometimes you get like the josh rojas types like can't play anywhere yes. so they end up playing a bunch of different spots and so like yeah carpenter could maybe play like left both corner outfield and like first base maybe like i could see but, that uh, but yeah i i think that he's another one where seems like we made a miss missed on this guy you know he should have been like a 45 maybe on the tigers list in the middle of last year if we were really like making a real-time adjustment to how he was performing okay carrie carpenter uh, again kind of that kyle, kyle stowers comp and the ballpark will benefit him too you know the left-handers are going to get the biggest benefit that's green carpenter um austin meadows nick mayton and then this guy who i'd be remiss if i didn't bring up my boy akil badu what the hell happened last year did i just completely misread him or did the tigers bury him too quickly on like a self-fulfilling prophecy because he's raking in spring last year batting first i love the in-season changes from his rookie year 2021 super hyped on him you know because it's a tiger i get that whole like oh sports just hyping a tiger which i get you know that's my favorite team but i wasn't i I really believed in him it wasn't just because he was a tiger and he was total bust just a complete and utter bust he he was going 10th to 12th round in 15 teamers last year Uh, and and yeah i was picking him up that high too i thought he could be like a 15 20 type of guy uh you know hitting like 250 which is pretty solid and if he's batting at the top of an order even a shit order you can get enough runs there i thought he had the juice clearly he did not but he's still only 24 where we at on akil badu yeah you know i understand how one could draw that conclusion about him you can roast me too if i if i was completely off don't be afraid to say hey you just missed it on this one it's not like i thought that he was a terrible prospect like akil badu since high school has been a really interesting prospect um but he seemed more like a fourth or fifth outfielder to me i was surprised when he was the first pick in the rule five Mm -hmm. um the Tigers have tended to tended to do that, like with Victor Reyes too, where it's like, I yep. get this sort of, but there probably were better options. Um, and I think that they, you know, took him as some of this is like related to the uh Rays stuff we were talking about earlier, maybe, where in that rule five rookie year, where you're just trying to keep a 22-year-old on the roster, you are gonna do everything you can to put that guy in positions where what he does is built for him to have success. Yes. And like narrowing the scope of what he's doing to only the things that he is tends to be good at. And then when he has a year, like he did in 2021 
as a 22-year-old, asked to make like a pretty significant leap. Like Akil Badu basically went from low A. He played 33 yeah. games above low A. And, and, and that was, um, yeah, t- 24 or 29 games at high A and four games at triple A. And then he's in the majors putting up 124 games. This is, you know, this is all part of why I, I bought in. I was like, oh, this dude made real changes. He is not maybe a dude, which we, which we say to mean like a star, but he's a quality player who can be a fantasy guy. And then last year, it all came unraveled pretty quickly. But I also think that like the sample from 22 is small enough that there's going to be some noise. Yep. And 461 plate appearances, we should stress this, is still a small sample. Yeah, it's a, a fullish season, you know, 450, 400, you start to say that's that's got something to it. But it's still small in the grand scheme, meaning that they're not anchored to that, that he's a definite 110 WRC plus, that he's a definite two and a half, three win type of guy. So I think that's fair too. And I think I just, I ran with the sample and thought, hey, let's go, but Badu's ready. Sure. Right. Like if the narrative of it, like the way that you're see, you can frame it in a way for sure where, yeah, you, you do convince yourself that it's true um, because of the things we just mentioned, like it is nuts for uh like i thought i i was low on him after his 2021 i was like all right well i'll like take the l on that one but these things just tend to play out over longer periods of time Mm -hmm. than we like to give them um but you know let me jump in real quick because you know who a guy that you did this right on the other way um that i was like oh i don't know eric didn't really react to this guy's uh debut was kevin biggio i remember you still had pretty modest unimpressive reports on him after that 100 game sample in 2019 430 plate appearances basically the same thing as badu and he's badu you know he's gone he's gone down and really hasn't been that impressive now he was a bit older too but to your point this does happen and sometimes you might get it wrong on a guy but other times you're, you're dead on and, and you were dead on with 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 biggio on that and you have and you weren't wrong on badu you thought you were and it turned out you you are right or at least so far Maybe right, like yeah, just having a like a bench, you know, part-time outfielder grade on Badu is, you know, right now in aggregate, that's what he looks like. But mm-hmm. but yeah, like it's so hard, dude. Like some of what I've been very, very lucky to experience is the Diamondbacks are 20 minutes from my doorstep. Yeah. And for the last basically most of the time I've lived in Arizona, not been good. And so I feel free as a kidless 34 year old <laughs> to drop 120 bucks on a ticket to like go sit right back there yep. where I would for like a college or high school game, except it's the big leagues. And that pers- perspective has like opened my eyes in a way to like how difficult this actually is. There are some nights when I come home from a minor league game and I haven't seen anyone throw harder than 94, like throw harder than 94. Wow. And most of, you know, a handful of the guys I will have watched didn't break 90, right? Like if I'm at a complex league game, there are some nights I come home and only one or two guys like broke 90. If I go to a big league game, I can watch like Spencer Strider just pump 98 plus pass guys, (laughs) big league hitters just absolutely rip it right by them because of how explosive the movement is and how like impossible the angle is for them to get on top of and like watch Yanni Hernandez, who I really like as a cute little bench infield bit player, right? Mm-hmm. Like barely get there. Like a guy who's got like a 10% strikeout rate in the minors 
barely get there, like to foul off Spencer Strider's fastball and just know that the next guy coming in is almost going to be this good. Like, I mean, and that's the thing you said, it's so hard. You, you might go to a game where you see nobody break 90 in a major league game. If you see one guy sub 90, he stands out because of how rare it is now. Yes. Right. Like you, like this dude threw 89, but he has funk and, and deception and type of deal. It's so rare now to see that. And it's just crazy. And I think you're making a great point about just how difficult the majors are day in, day out. Like we know that, but sometimes we have to sit, step back and realize it. And on somebody it's that like that, an army of guys who are trying to get you out, it's, like exactly it's, always it going for your spot, not just like Christian Javier, it's Christian Javier and uh Martin Maldonado reading your swing from yep. three inches away, and like an army of analysts and advanced scouts who have also watched you. And if like, you got to hit last at bat, they're going to see what you're trying to do there and try to adjust to you the very next at bat, not the next game, they're going to try to get at you that next at bat and go for that pitch yeah so there it's it's just got to be unimaginably difficult there but anyway with badu um you know i'm still going to hold out hope he is absolutely free which is a phrase i'm careful not to use too often in fantasy because some people say it when the pick is like pick 180 that's not free but when you're pick 500 you are free but let's talk about some actual prospects still uh colt keith made a big jump last year looks like one of these dudes who can hit is he one of is he this standard uh class that we've been talking about a few times today utility guy who can't play anywhere but can hit so he keeps getting yes. pushed around everywhere yeah you know colt keith was a two-way high schooler played shortstop and you were like huh is he a shortstop or is it third base and now it's like is he a third baseman <laughs> yeah or is he a first baseman or a right fielder or like what's going to happen here he you know he weighed in at fall league at 245 and he put on like 30 pounds almost immediately after he signed and i think a lot of it was intentional yeah i because think so too they anticipated that he would move to third and wanted the power to arrive, and it has. So this is a guy who like parlayed field to hit and then like sacrificed on defense to add power, and it seems in there. So um, I don't know what's going to happen with him defensively. It is really weird and stiff at third base, but his arm is good. So maybe he that hides enough that he can play there. But you know, I tend to project these guys at first base or like in right field yeah i think that's that's fair but third base is an opportunity right now with the tigers and because they're bad and scott harris wants to kind of see what they've got i wonder if he could get some of that burn there colt keith now he needs more time in the minors at least a little bit because uh, he's only been to high a he did go to the fall league which is nice but i don't think he's ready to necessarily make a huge jump this year is he going to skip double a or is he going to go there um and and have a two level double a triple a season it wouldn't surprise me. I, you know, if he can really hit that well, then I think they should just push him. And maybe some of it will depend on what the standings look like in July. Mm -hmm. If you really want to like say, hey, is this guy is maybe just a better hitter than Nick Maton and Tyler Nevin or you know, a a veerling platoon with one of those two guys, but like yeah. um but yeah, I think there's that's a possibility. Uh, they could be situationally aggressive with him and the guys who hit like this tend to continue to do it uninterrupted uh, until they get to, you know, then it's sink or swim at the big league level, like we saw with Torque. Yep. Um, I think Ryan Kreidler's kind of sneaky too. And maybe I just the so fact too. that Kreidler's on the roster means that they would give him an opportunity first. And he can he can play the, the position too, right? Like he is a defense first guy, but he has some hit. Do I read yeah, that right on him? It's uh, plate discipline and then playable power. Okay. which is sort of the opposite of what he seemed like in college.
but yeah, like can play third base. Um, there's, you know, it's plus plate discipline with above average playable power, but the hit tool is, is a little bit short. So, you know, at third base, if he's a good defender, he probably is capable at other spots, like maybe long-term that's a utility guy. But, um, I think that he's, he has to be in that mix at some point if he's going to perform on paper again, like he did, uh, in, in 2022. Absolutely. When CL Perez, uh, double a season or excuse me a high a double a season that was quite good he had a 143 wrc plus at both levels quality plate skills uh 23 years old coming into this year what's his outlook he's another infielder is he somebody is he up the middle or could he also maybe be in that third base mix this year at age 23 pushing into the high minors now when perez yeah that would be okay maybe i i like when seal as utility guy like okay i think when you know it's bat the ball oriented. So you have those situations in the middle of a game where you really want a ball in play and to, to have a, a switch hitter like this on your bench who can basically play any position. Um, it gives you so much in-game flexibility. And, and that's the type of role I think this guy will play. Like there will be some days he's spelling someone against, you know, a platoon disadvantage. And again, because we're talking about an up the middle player who has started to trickle down the defensive spectrum, he's sort of backed into being versatile. So yeah, uh, really like him as a piece. Um, have never like, you know, like Geraldo Perdomo with Arizona is a guy where I 50 would him and should have 45 him. And when seal is a guy who like was 40 and should have been 45. Okay. And some of that is just fair. bias on luck where they should have just both been in the middle as like, you know, an integral utility infielder. That's totally fair. Parker Meadows. Not a fantasy guy, probably. Not, not a fantasy guy. Okay. Wencio Perez, don't get too excited by that two-level year last year. Then that hitting isn't necessarily coming to the majors. Parker Meadows, his brothers with the organization, Austin. They are indeed brothers. Um, you know, he was a top pick a couple years back. and Or second-round pick, excuse me, but top 50, pick 44 overall. Had a solid season last year at, at AA. Spent most of the year there. I think he's dealt with some uh, did he deal with some early career injuries do i have that right let me or double no? check the notes on that because maybe, maybe austin's maybe hurt so much that that's it might maybe be i'm just transposing it onto parker perhaps but he's gonna be age 23 this year had most of his season at double a hit the fall league can parker meadows be somebody who finds his way into some potential playing time particularly if my boy badu does flounder again yeah i thought that meadows had made enough adjustments and still looks good enough in center field that they had to add him to the 40 man after the season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He had never really performed offensively until 2022. And obviously everybody knew who this guy was, as you said, high pick he's Austin's brother and all that. And so obviously like everybody knew, but yeah, like even the underlying stuff supports that there's been a meaningful change to his ability to, to, make contact and he's close to average in that space right now. Uh, Maybe even a little bit above and there's still so much room on his body uh, because, you know, again, this is, you talked about like his brothers, Austin Meadows. This is a family of big athletic dudes. Mm -hmm. Um, So even at six, five, two Oh five, there's maybe going to be more juice here. And he did have 16 bombs in 2022. So I think he's really interesting. There's still volatility here, but uh, definitely a big time arrow up guy from 2022 who's now on the 40 man with like a relatively, you know, mediocre outfield mix ahead of him on the 40. Exactly. A bit of an open path there. If Parker Meadows can force his way, carry over some of that double A production into triple A, 
then he's knocking on the door. One of the small trades that they made was for uh, Justin Malloy Henry, who they do believe, or Justin Henry Malloy, excuse me, I always mix the two up. He was also at the Fall League. I remember I read an article, Scott Harris was talking about, you know, getting him, getting Nick Maton. He likes these smaller deals. Seems like Henry Malloy could also be in the mix for the uh, third base gig here if he does some things. What do we think of Justin Henry Malloy coming from Atlanta this year? Yeah, yeah. So he was he was at Vanderbilt, and there was just no space for him, and he transferred. Um, and so then he only really had one complete college season, and he was really good. And so the Braves especially, there are a couple teams that, that do this, the Dodgers too, but the Braves do seem to like these tip-of-the-iceberg type guys who the track record is shorter, or maybe they're like a two-way guy or something like that. Uh, and they wonder if like there's the lack of track record is like hurting their value across the industry where, mm -hmm. it, you know, is arguably a feature. He was a sixth so, rounder. So uh, Justin right. Henry Malloy goes cheaper there and they thought they could tap into something more. So I don't know if he's a third baseman. I kind of don't think so. Watching him for six weeks in Folly, I left more skeptical than I was convinced that he could actually play over there. So he's probably just a first baseman, but that is definitely something that still needs to be ironed out and is probably the biggest barrier for big league playing time in, okay. in 2023. There's also, you know, and I could like pull up Synergy and, and look and see if this is also true, but I think there's like a hole in his swing that maybe will be exploited by those riding high fastballs um, later on. Like Jeter Downs, Jeter Downs always had this hole in his swing. It just wasn't facing enough fastballs like that for it to be exposed until he was like until right there. And, and boy, did it happen when once it came through. So there might be some of that happening here, but that is again like anecdotal. I saw this guy, you know, probably a dozen times over the course of six weeks against like not great pitching. Um, and so I have like few visual instances where I you know, saw this thing, but um, but yeah, like he's a maybe there's real power there. Uh, and he's always performed, and in part because there's such a narrow window of looks here because he didn't play much as an underclassman at Vandy, like to the point where he had to leave. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he went over to Georgia Tech, and it's Justin hyphen Henry Malloy as opposed to Henry hyphen Malloy, which is kind of the way I was suggesting that. I always, yeah, like I have a hard time remembering. It, it's the, the rare hyphenated first name first as name. opposed to the yeah. last name there. A couple pitchers that might be of interest. Uh, Joey Wentz was also at the Fall League and put up some little, a bit of a decent sample toward the end of the season last year. Is there anything there to where uh, just Joey Wentz could become a fantasy-relevant pitcher? Uh, probably not. Ah, maybe maybe like um the way i was talking about dean kramer before like that's probably yeah. what's okay. in play here that's super deep um oh then let's go back to the two prospects that also made the the 100 wilmer flores and reese olsen they're pretty close at 82 and 87 wilmer flores is the brother of wilmer flores parents didn't really want to do anything with the first name they figured we already got a wilmer that worked let's try it again what's up with wilmer flores and reese olsen this year both were at double a last year could they make an impact this year for the Tigers? Yeah, I think both will. I think Olsen's probably more likely in some capacity just because there's a chance that they they bullpen him. Um, I, I, that's exactly what I feel on, on Reese Olsen to the point where I feel like he could become the closer in relatively yeah. short fashion. Plus stuff, doesn't throw strikes with his fastball, but everything is plus. Like sitting 94 with ride, his changeup's incredible. Um, you know, he could be an inefficient, you know, five and dive type of starter, I suppose, but he's mm -hmm. right on that line. And then Flores, it's more, you know, power. Uh, the Velo was actually down 
in 22 compared to 21 when he blew up in the fall league, just, you know, sitting 94 plus. I sat more 92 as a starter across an entire season's worth of innings as a starter in 2022, but the fastball has other characteristics that allow it to play, and he's got a monster breaking ball. So uh, another one of those, hey, this guy doesn't really look mechanically and physically like a starter, but he throws plenty of strikes, and I bought in enough that, yeah, like maybe not this year, but certainly next year. Okay, I can definitely see that with Wilmer Flores. Anybody else on on the Tigers that uh, you know? Because because they're a bad team, sometimes these teams can be the uh, the fantasy gold mines, at least as far as playing time opportunities for deeper leagues. Anybody that we haven't mentioned that you would want to keep an eye on? I still think a guy like Cesar Hernandez. I mean, he's thirty three, but a yeah. guy like that tends to sustain and have like you know, the opportunity to be a late career as Drew Ball Cabrera or yes. Josh Harrison, like someone who hits enough that they ended up having been a pretty good fantasy pickup. Okay. That, that's uh, I think that's totally boring fair. one, but yeah, <laughs> but it, it, look what Andrews did last year with playing time. Elvis Andrews, you know, he, he regenerated sure. and became a fantasy stud. Now he has the speed to go with it, which Cesar Hernandez hasn't really run in a few years, but I totally hear you. I could see him playing quite a bit of time on this ball club. So it's definitely worth at least bringing up. And I like that. We're not just hitting on all the prospects. Sometimes we're talking about old dudes. Let's go over to KC, see what they're all about here. You know, they're another team that kind of disappointed last year where they had, uh, some not, I wouldn't say huge expectations, but people were like, Oh, you know, they could be a froggy team, they could be sneaky, they're calling wit up this, that, and the other, yeah. and it didn't really come together. Now, they, unless I'm misreading this, they had nobody on the 100. That's correct, yes. And so, who is, their best guy is Michael Garcia, who actually did hit the majors last year. What's the word on Michael Garcia, and how dry is their system as far as uh, the low miners, too? Are they going to have anybody on the 100 in the future, or are they just in a very barren? point right now some of it is because they were aggressive with their guys yes at the beginning of last year so they graduated melendez wit pasquantino isbel michael massey who's in that's definitely a name i want to point people to yes um, yes i liked him last year i think michael massey is maybe one of those other guys who will look back and be like yeah he probably should have just been on the hundred there's just enough playable power there at a middle infield position that i think he's going to be good um, so yeah, the system is dry right now. Uh, some of it is because of there's not a great ability to to develop pitching here, and I I know that the fantasy people kind of know this because so many of that group that came up recently, the Singer, Kowar, Lynch, uh, Bubich, mm-hmm. you know, they've sort of just done okay in every case except for Singer, I guess, like who seems to have really established himself, but yeah. This isn't a great pitching dev org. And so they don't have the random, hey, look what they did to Clay Holmes sinker. Hey, look exactly. at, you know, look, you know, Joe, Jonathan the Wise ago was hurt so much that he was released. And like, here he is. Like, they almost take from guys, it seems, right? Like another organization would have maximized Amir Garrett. He kind of regressed with them or, you know, some of their exciting relievers or just these, even these starters like Coar, yes. like Lynch. Like, why did they bring in? Lyles and Yarbrough to push Lynch out of the rotation. Like I get bringing Grinky. He's an institution there. Okay. But he should be the only old guy they have. I don't understand right. pushing Lynch out after he showed some flashes last year, at least give him the opportunity. But yeah, some of this is, some of this is uh, dev related. And some of it is, some of it is good stuff because the guys who they graduated last year, like I, I think that all those guys are good. Uh, and the fact that they're willing to accelerate timelines 
like some other teams are not in a way that screws, you know, prospects big league service time. Basically they like they're treating their employees well, yes. but yeah, their farm system sucks when you look at it from a rookie, you know, eligibility standpoint because of how they approached it. Um, <clears throat> but um, so yeah, like all these arms in the system, Frank Mazzicato, uh Ben Kuderna, those are the two high school arms from the 21 draft who like mm-hmm. haven't really done a whole lot. Kuderna had more, Velo on board right away. Uh, and Maz was more like, wow, look at this breaking ball and his delivery and the ride on the fastball and all that. And none of that has really progressed and neither has his command. Asa Lacey, maybe we were all just tricked by Asa Lacey. Um, I think you I've mentioned seen- that on the NL episode, right? Where like he just hit the right moment to do his best yes. work. No doubt. But like acquiring TJ Sikama for Ben Benintendi and then not thinking enough of Sikama to 40-man 40, 40 him, like that's weird. And... So, yeah, I'd be skeptical of this whole group. Alec Marsh throws really hard but doesn't throw strikes. Uh, you know, there, there seems like there's meat on the bone all over the place here. Yeah. Hitting-wise, yeah. Mike imagine, Massey. Sorry, one, one thing with the pitchers before we go back to the hitters. If Cleveland was able to to deal with all these pitchers, I feel like they would turn turn over several rocks. It's like I do think that they stunt their organization to where I don't have interest in Coar. I'm not in on Lynch again right now this year because they just don't really do extra with their guys. So and, and that even puts me a little bit cold on Singer even after the breakout last year. That I don't know is there another step for him? Do you think or is it is last year his best year? I think. Sorry, I thought I muted myself before I. No, no, it's nose, okay. And then I heard it in my in my <laughs> headphones. <laughs> it's totally fine. It's totally fine. Um. So, I think maybe Singer is Nola, and his okay. delivery and the shape of his fastball kind of work like that. And I, so I think that Singer might just like be the Aaron Nola sequel, and uh, you know I will have been light on him. I think that will certainly play. But let, let's go over to the hitters. Then they don't have a ton of prospects, as we've said, but they have guys who are prospect. The Jason again, sure. and the one I love is Edward Oliveris. Now they made okay. a rule, so they can't send him down seventy-four thousand times. I think he's finally going to get playing time, especially with Drew Waters getting hurt. Can Oliveris be a fantasy impact guy with you know light double digit, light double double, you know, uh, low teens of both homers and steals? Um, or yeah. is, is he a mirage? No, I think that I think that that's a fair. If he's going to get like a full season of at bats, then then that's about where I'd expect him to end up. He's the type of guy who all forty, you know, it's right-handed. More more corner than center field, and yeah. the on base component isn't there, and so that feels tenuous to me and like low impact. Even if he does That's get opportunity, but totally fair. But, but if from he plays, a fantasy category standpoint, yeah, yeah, because of the speed component. Speaking yes. of the speed component, now on the other side with uh, left handed, so he might play even more. Is Kyle Isbell? He's got the defense. You forty five him, I think, because. Uh, just an overall bit better across the board and left-handed right. and can hold center, I believe. And correct me if my assessment's wrong there. Uh, what do I you think, think of Kyle fair. Isbell? Yeah, I think um, he's fair in center. It's enough that given who else is on their roster, that that's who their center fielder should be. Yeah. Uh, you know, Nick Lofton's played out there some too. He's sort of lurking in the minors, but his bat has has also turned out to be like a little bit light. So, you know, if it's going to be close between the two of these guys, yeah, Kyle Isbell is a lefty stick who I like um, as like the, the larger half of a platoon. And if he's going to play a whole season, he'll probably produce better than that in terms of like racking up stats. Okay. Um, I think that that could be interesting there. I like both those guys right now. So we'll see different deeper leagues. Talk about the concept we've been hitting on a bunch. 
guys that have been forgotten because they did not do anything upon arrival. Nick Prado, remember, he was ahead of Vinny P. People didn't know who Vinny P was last year outside of like real prospect mavens, whereas Nick Prado was getting the juice. Vinny P comes up, has the great year. Prado's kind of buried now. Where does he play? First base is blocked off. Can he play a corner? Is there still a lot to like with him, though? You 50'd him um, last year. Is is Nick Prado still somebody with real upside? Yeah, it's funny because Prado was maybe the guy who was in the position that Tristan Casas is in now, where you're like, you mm -hmm. know, there's so much swing and miss here for a first base only guy, but look how much playable power there is. And then, you know, Prado really struggled. He's super duper young still. So I think eventually it'll be fine. Um, you know, it's still plus power. He's so pull oriented. But you can see between Melendez and Prado how the fact that Melendez can catch and do other stuff while he has mostly the same kind of issues as Prado does, like he still ends up being valuable, whereas Prado is like squeezed off the roster. So exactly, because you know, first is blocked and he's really stretched in a corner outfield spot for Prado. So, like, where does he really play? I don't think it's terrible. The contact stuff underlying here is not awful. It's 80% in zone contact uh, and 78% overall contact. So, like, now what I would do immediately if I'm like, you know, thinking about this is go to the big league leaderboard on fan graphs mm -hmm. and click the plate discipline tab and just look for comparable guys who like can sustain that much swing and miss. Yeah. And what, still, what'd you, what'd you say his, um, O swing was, or is that his own contact? So actually I can give you that too. So his, his over his in zone contact was 80%. So Z contact okay. 80%. So that's like Mountcastle last year. Among Matt Olson did that qualified. last year too. Yeah, Matty O was there. And so uh, was, you know, Goldie was at 82, which, you know, it's two points, but close. And then um, chase, rate, chase. chase rate's only 18%, but his swing rate is so low, like 38%. I have to believe some of this is like artificial passivity okay, because of how low the swing rate is. Yep. This is a thing that for sure is happening with prospects across the board, and it has been difficult for me like I don't, I'm, I know teams do, but I don't have access to the sort of metadata that would allow me to to discern who is passive and who is actually selective. I, I think that's that is a a hurdle that can be tough. So you can't just take the K and and walk rates at face value. They're still valuable. There's still something that you want right. to look at, but there's a is that next level analysis that sometimes we can't get without the data right now. Forty one percent hard hit. Like that's kind of below what I have as the first base average. It's a little. It's right there, but it's but it is a shade below. So, so this, is, this is Nick Prado we're talking about. And then you can yeah. look at his major league sample, which was small, but. Did show those flaws with, uh, you know, with a 36% strikeout rate, 15% swinging strike, and it just was tough. So I still like him at 24, especially in like a dynasty keeper AL only type situation. But I do think his ceiling came down last year in terms of what we can really expect, especially in the short term with Vinny P taking that role by the horns. By the way, do you like Vinny P uh, to oh, yeah. do even more than than what he did last? Because he's he's a fantasy darling right now. Everyone's in on him. What do you think of Vinny yep. P? Yep. Some of his stuff in this in this realm is totally absurd, even better than I would have expected. This guy was on the back of our hundred um, when we did it in 2021. He was another him and Quan were the two where we were just like, are we really going to do this? And it turned out to be right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Both hits. 
So I think, um, yeah, like I'd be all in his, his timing at the plate is sublime. He just makes it work. The barrel finds the ball and, uh, you know, yeah, he's like going to be like a seven bat. So uh, I saw somebody put him in their bust thing during, uh, J- Justin did his pot of Palooza this past weekend and somebody had him on their bust list. I was like, oof, I don't think that one's going to work out for you. I just, I think his floor is, is so well established with those plate skills that it, yeah. I mean, it's hard for Pasquantino to be a full on bust. Yeah. So. Uh, if I'm looking at this sheet and I don't have like big league stuff in here necessarily, but like I said, Ben and for all the guys anyway, um, Vinny Pasquantino was 91% in zone. Wow. Contact. Like it's one of the better numbers on the whole sheet. That um, is filthy. So yeah, I'm all in on, on Pasquantino. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Let's move over to the uh, NL AOS finish up here. Houston right. Astros. Obviously they are a uh, great system that has turned out a lot of talent. Let's start with a guy who did graduate last year. I believe Hunter Brown graduated, right? So no, he's uh, on. There. Oh no, no, he's on the list. Duh, thirty-four. So I love him. But now you, SIRP means single inning relief pitcher, right? Yeah, I think that that um, some of that is situational because okay. of the depth of the Astros rotation. Okay, okay, fair enough. Because I, I, I was, I was taken aback by that. I love him. Obviously, he he wants to be a Verlander clone. Everyone knows right. Verlander is my favorite pitcher ever. So I was, I was, you know, ready to love Hunter Brown, but then seeing him last year, one of the games I went to, he pitched into. So I got, you know, I got that in-person look. I love him. I think he's going to get his opportunity and I, I, I think he's going to run with it. You know, we'll see what happens with McCullers uh, health concerns, but uh, I think Brown can be a G and I think he can be a G this year. Even if it is a multi-inning reliever, I think it'll yes. be in leveraged spots where he can rack up some cheap wins and still be fantasy viable in a, in a mixed league format. So talk to us a bit about Hunter Brown and what the uh, short and long-term implications are for him. Sure. So uh, division two, Wayne state really blew up 2020 instructs uh, just purely on stuff was on our hundred Super fast, arguably premature at the time, has just you know turned out to be right. Um, I still, and this is where like now I'm the guy who was once high on him, and now I'm like pumping the brakes because, <laughs> like Asa Lacey, the window of competent starter quality strikes here is pretty narrow. Just mm-hmm. historically, this is not he is not that guy. So watch how scattered the fastball command is. I think with the rest of this rotation being what it is, if you know going in to Hunter Brown's start every week that he might only go four and two thirds, the fact that you have your rotation stocked with Fromber and Urquidy and guys who are going to give you six plus, that's yeah, fine. Exactly. Stretch the bullpen they, they out one day. Deal with it. Whatever, right? Seth Martinez comes in the middle of the game, gets six outs, and you're golden. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, on stuff, if you're just lining up Hunter Brown's shit with like Presley and Montero and Brian Abreu at the back of that bullpen, even if he is in the bullpen, he's like one or one a with Abreu in terms of how yep. nasty their stuff is. Yep. Uh, and he's got, you know, one more, two more pitches really than anybody else in that group because you know, he will turn over a change up on occasion. And so, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, like the single inning relief, listing on like the top 100 is maybe a typo maybe it's not um that was a thing that i didn't like come to a firm decision on when we okay. solidified it so don't but freak I, out folks the way i did i, I think what it's communicating is 
that there are com- there's command risk here okay. and that you know i just think people should be aware of that and in some places where i think it's important to be aware of it i will maybe lean on th- an evaluation like that to prove a point more than you know predict i think that's but- fair and like spinning that that situation back to fantasy though too if that is where punter brown has to go because the command doesn't necessarily come forward ryan presley's 34 that closer's role and he's had those lower half injury issues for a while i know they just signed him to a uh to, to a deal and he has 20 23 and 24 locked in with a 24 vesting but there's a world where maybe brown would be their closer in a year anyway so if you're talking dynasty even if that risk is still there with brown to be a reliever i think it could be top of the scale reliever where he's a a, a premium closer yes no doubt no doubt and you rank a guy on the prospect list like that, even knowing that that outcome is maybe like a 40% chance to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at some point, you know, if I said, oh, Josh Hader, he's only a reliever, like, okay, but he should probably <laughs> still be in like the top 20 of your prospect list, even if you know that that's what he's going to be. Because he's just so nasty and he's, he's so, so impactful. so nasty. Yeah. So yeah, like I'm with you that I think he's very, very good. And this is one of those situations where the situation of the big league roster allows a guy like this to thrive because the other parts of it can uh, comp- like can uh, make up for his deficiencies. Yep. I, I think it's, it's totally set up for success there with Houston. It's just the perfect scenario for Hunter Brown. Let's talk about a guy who broke out last year. Uh, Jeremy Pena had a wonderful season, obviously a brilliant playoff. 22 homers, 11 steals. A little bit divisive in the fantasy world, though. He has his proponents without a doubt. But some people are throwing the cold water saying, look at these plate skills. A lot of swing and miss. Not much patience. Sub 300 OBP by a decent bit with a 289. Yeah ended up being a 102 WRC plus. So it's like that fantasy juice was there, but the overall juice wasn't. Is there some risk on a sophomore slump? Also a little bit, I don't want to say old because 25, you're not old, but I know with some of the prospects that we've seen break out these recent years, you know, 25 already does feel a little older. So I'm just saying that in terms of like, if he does have a slump, maybe he doesn't necessarily return from it. But where do you stand on Jeremy Pena and his risk this year? Because the market is pretty hot on him in the fantasy world. Right. And obviously, from my point of view, a big feature here is what he's doing defensively, which is much less relevant. Yes, but it's but it, it guarantees that playing time. It is pure shortstop capability, right? I do think this guy's going to hit home runs. Okay. I do think that he will have another 20 home run season. But him and Michael Harris both are the ones where, yes, you should expect regression just because of how much swinging and chasing there was. Let me um, ask you something real quick because you mentioned the name. I might, I might have told you this on the NL episode, but I can't remember. Where do you think Michael Harris is going in drafts? Oh, man. I have no idea. Like 14th? He's going in the second round. Okay, so you, you did push him high. I think that's crazy to have him that high already. I think it's, I think it's you know. I'm scared. I'm scared. I would. I he's love gonna, money, Mike. He's a mi- yeah, and for sure, like was light on him as a prospect, but mm-hmm. but yeah, this is what he did last year is probably not what he'll do again. That that's that's my concern, and that's the same thing with Pena. So you invoked Harris's name. I don't want to yes, derail you too much on that, but it's that same sort of thing where it's like that was great last year. There was a lot of fantasy heat. The playoffs were brilliant, but there is a world where Pena hits 235 with 25 sure. homers this year, right? No, for sure. Yes. I think I think that it will yeah, you'll see 
something like like that. But I do think that he's stable because the his power and his approach, which is super duper pull heavy, and the Crawford boxes will just mm-hmm. enable him to hit two dozen homers. Yep. Yep. And so so there is stability fantasy wise in that. But yeah, there are all kinds of guys like this, you know, who like Luis Robert and uh, you know, in the aggregate, they're incredible players, but they do go through these periods where it is like dry and frustrating to watch them chase slider after <laughs> no slider doubt. after slider. No doubt. I'm, I'm, I'm a Tigers fan. Javi Baez, you know, jumps to mind there. And you mentioned Adamas earlier. Is that a similar profile yes. here with Pena in terms of, okay, uh, has the glove going to play every day, but will frustrate you. Hey, but if you're in a roto league, you're just worried about the end of season numbers. If you're in a head-to-head, it might be a situation where it could be a bit more volatile and he could Pena could be costing you some weeks because he's he's giving you like a goose egg. But if you're in the roto where all you care about is the bottom line, then you don't have to worry about it as much. Um, let's look at some of their other guys here. Again, we don't get too crazy about fantasy catchers, but they do have two rookies kind of vying for that backup role in Corey Lee and Yiner Diaz, both of whom have hit a little bit at times. Uh, are either of them enough to be fantasy relevant in two catcher leagues if they're not starting? Corey Lee, no. Okay. Most of what he's doing is defensive and arm. Okay. Diaz, yes. If they open with three catchers or, you know, uh, if if Diaz wins the backup job, which is what I don't think will happen, I think because Lee probably profiles as like a super-duper luxury backup Austin Hedges type guy. Totally agree. I could absolutely see Corey Lee having a year where he hits like, you know, like Hedges had that like 18 home run mm-hmm. peak or whatever. Yep. Even though the baseball is way different now, probably than <laughs> when Hedges did that. Um, but Corey Lee is going to be like a 20 bat with some power uh, who has one hell of an arm and does enough as a receiver and framer to like be a catcher. And you're going to favor the defense in a backup situation, which is not right. Diaz's strength. Um, but his bat, I mean, his power is is pretty pretty clean, right? Yiner Diaz. Yes, Diaz's ceiling, as is that of a primary catcher with like an above average bat for that position. But he needs work on defense, work that letting him catch every day at AAA, he hopefully will get in. Yeah. But work that you're probably stymieing if you open with him as your big league backup, and he's yep. only playing once or twice a week. So. So for his long term, they really shouldn't bring him north. I know it's not really north. They're really moving to the east from Arizona to uh, to Houston, but I'm I'm used to teams talking about bringing guys north because he's played other spots, and because Maldonado is like such a stable entity back there. Mm-hmm. Maybe they do it where they say, "All right, here's how we're going to justify it." Diaz is also going to DH and play like first base and corner outfield some of the time, and Jay Melendez style then, right? Right. Okay. But like, you know, if this guy comes up because Jose Abreu gets hurt or something like that, Michael Brantley gets hurt again, right? Like then and he qualifies a catcher and is going to be yeah, playing exactly you know, five times a week, then yeah, I would roster roster this guy. It's he's okay. a little aggressive, but really has the combo of the, the bat to ball in the zone and the power on contact when he's making it. And yeah, I think that he's got a chance to be a primary catcher down the line. Yiner Diaz with the uh, with the Astros. Let's talk David Hensley. Um, not yes. only a, a major prospect in terms of like age because he's going to be 27, but had a monster season at AAA last year. Got a little run, showed off great plate skills in those 34 plate appearances, and was on the playoff roster too, which I always see as like a little vote of confidence. Like even though he wasn't playing a ton or anything, 
I like when a guy like that, when people, a lot of people might be saying who, and it's like, Oh, David Hensley, he made the playoff roster, got in a few games that, that to me says that the team really believes in him to a degree as well. What do we think of David Hensley? You mentioned if, if Brantley gets hurt, could Hensley be the guy who would take over something if Brantley got hurt again at age 36? Not that we're yes. predicting, you know, we're not wanting him to get hurt, but we're, we're realistic about where Brantley's health profile is. So talk to us about David Hensley. Yeah, so last year's Astros list went Pena 1, Hunter Brown 2, Colin Barber 3, Yiner Diaz 4, Corey Lee 5, Pedro Leon 6, and then David Hensley was 7th as a 26-year-old. As a 26-year-old, that is a ringing endorsement given the age. Yes, I'm in on David Hensley. He is kind of freaky. The fact that he's 6'6 and can bend and like play the middle infield the way he does is kind mm-hmm. of crazy. Uh, he's always had uncommon bat-to-ball skill for a guy his size. I think he is like an impact, super good utility player. And if he comes into every day at bats, then he is rosterable in fantasy. I love um, yeah, like really, really like him. Don't think, you know, he's not a top 100 prospect for me, like someone who's just like every, an everyday shortstop or anything like that. But as a utility guy and he's got some freaky stuff going on, you know, he was a 40 plus, uh, you know, last off season. Cause I thought it was clearly a, at least a low end utility guy but definitely had some freaky upside weird stuff going on, even though he's 26, like six, six guy doing this is kind of nuts. So it, it really is like you, you, you see him in the, in the batter's box or in the on deck circle as a six, six guy. And he, and he comes up and then, or you see him in the field and he does things that you don't expect after you just visually look at him at first. You're, you're, yes. you're uncommonly surprised by the, uh, by the athleticism and abilities of David Hensley. So he could be one of these late bloomers that just really pops off and uh and and find some real run now he's definitely played some center could he push mccormick could he could hensley push Chaz mccormick i think it's possible i think i feel better about hensley's bat than i do mccormick's and that's rough for me to say because mccormick's a pa guy and I, I, I like McCormick. I'm not, I'm not here trying to uh, give his job away, but he's, you know, he's similarly kind of broke out a little bit of a late bloomer. He's been solid these last two years. There could be room for both. Again, we just gotta be honest about where Brantley's health is. It's not peak condition at age 36. So that could create room for both, but just keep David Hensley on yeah, your radar, yeah. especially if he falls into time. That's a great, uh, great name to remember. Uh, any pitcher or anybody else that doesn't have to be pitcher, uh, or hitter, but anybody else that uh, the Astros could find some time for if things open up. Yeah. So obviously I don't really know what's going to happen with Forrest Whitley. I was hoping you'd bring him up at least. Yeah. Um, I haven't sat to watch and see if he's done anything so far this spring and like how he looks or if his deliveries any different or anything like that. But obviously that's a situation to monitors because of what it's looked like at points in the past. Will mm-hmm. Wagner, Billy Wagner's kid. Oh, uh, he was in the fall league. I think he can really hit. So he's another guy who will probably be a 45 lefty hitting below average defensive infielder, but hits left-handed real timing's really fantastic. You know, Jonathan Aranda was this guy yeah. the year before he was That's- in the big leagues. Right. So as like a two year guy to keep an eye on, I, I really like Will Wagner. Okay. Um, and then otherwise in this, you know, the system is not the best. Yeah. And, and their team is pretty well set as well. Uh, you mentioned Pedro Leone, who was in the, the top six or uh, five or six mm-hmm. last year. I, I, I've, I've cooled on him. Um, I'm, not, I'm not really seeing it, but he is a triple A. He is a power speed guy. Did have 38 steals, but also got caught 18 times. So don't get just drunk on the 38 steals if you're seeing that, folks. And he was pretty modest at triple A. Um, but 
would if they if he got a if he got a role as an outfielder, I know he can play a little infield too. Would there be anything there? Is there just too much swing and miss for Pedro Leon to actually find anything at the big league level? Yeah, maybe for fantasy purposes, the power speed combo, if he's getting even if he's like a 300 plate appearance guy, maybe that's enough. But yeah, like a, a narrow, there's utility for an up the middle guy with these types of tools, but the hit tool is going to fall south of what I think will we'll give him every day playing time. Yeah, that's kind of so I'm skeptical talking. there as well. Um, and then, yeah, like obviously the system you're looking for pitchers who have a chance to, to break out. Um, Jaden Murray, who they got in a trade from Tampa Bay, has been mm-hmm. interesting in the past. So, like, let's see what they can do with him, like a plus slider command guy who was really good in the mid minors and then things kind of fell away. Um, but yeah, it's it, the system kind of light right now. Yeah, and again, I don't think you got to get too hung up on it because they're not going to have a lot of open spots anyway. And if they do, if they have like a big spot, they'd probably just trade for somebody more impactful because, of course, their window's wide open still as the reigning uh, World Series winners. Let's go over to Seattle. Their team on the come for sure. Everyone's excited about them. We saw what J-Rod did last year. What a beautiful season from him. You mentioned Kelnick earlier. I think Justin would kill me if I didn't get your thoughts on Kelnick. Uh I, I I have definitely moved him down. I was excited about him as a as a prospect, uh, ex, you know, even excited about him still coming into last year, giving him a little bit of a pass for 2021. But Eric, we just haven't really seen a guy with this much swing and miss at the big league level really recover from it in terms of not still being challenged with the swing and miss, right? Like yeah. when you have a 30% through 558 plate appearances, how much history is there of a guy getting it down below 25%, which is where we, you know, we expected him to be lower coming through the minors. So what's up with Kalnick? He's 23 still. So he's young enough to change, but where's his upside right now? Yeah. I don't even truly know. Like what his issue is so clear and specific and was also, you know, didn't seem like he had remedied it by the end of the year. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm pretty surprised that, the turn that that took, this is a guy who had done nothing but really, really hit since he was a yeah. high school underclassman. He looked like a, a lock. I loved Kelnick coming up through the minors. But obviously, as we've talked about, some of these things tend to play out over a longer period of time. And, you know, he is more likely to be the guy who he's always been than, you know, what he's been recently. But the struggles were so severe that yeah maybe it is a problem and uh i guess like you don't there, you know that as a baseball fan even as like a baseball analyst the the human element piece of it is is there and all these you know all the analytics and and all this metadata and you know the trackman stuff and the hawkeye stuff and jerry kelly seemed really pissed at himself all the time last year mm-hmm. <laughs> like Absolutely. he seemed to be taking it you, know, you get to this point where you don't just want to be the the data nerd, but you also don't want to be like psychoanalyzing people from your couch. But you know, Jared Kelly did seem very frustrated and like he was pressing and like he just wasn't in a good place with himself on the field, very frustrated with himself. And you see, like it maybe some of it was the way it contrasts with Julio, who's just like effervescence and joy all the time. <laughs> And Kelnick is, you know, like over there listening to the the Smiths being pissed at himself. <laughs> um, so I don't know what's going to happen here, but a lot of what, 
you know, seem to fuel Jared Kelnick. The prospect is, yeah, machismo. I'm going to be the best. Of the yep. <laughs> and then he struggled. And the way he took that was not great seeming to me. Like it turned no, I, into anger. Like that, that, that emotion totally funneled to anger. Every bat at bat, he's doing the bat slam. It's like one of those things where he yeah. wants to show that like he's frustrated with himself so that other people won't critique him type of thing. And I speak from experience as somebody who used to do that when I would have a failure in sports, be like, if I'm hard on myself, nobody else will be type of deal. And it's like, that's not a good look. It's, it's, it's just not a good look. And I'm just worried about Kelnick. I know Justin's still fully in on him, but I, I can't get there. And so it's so we'll, hard. We'll you know, I've never had public expectation heaped on me. Yeah, exactly. In a way that, you know, and it does, it, it must be torturous when, especially as you're coming up and that fan base is the way it is with its prospects where, you know, they, they hope and then therefore expect you to be really you know great <laughs> and they you know they want them evaluated very well and then they want them to make good on that and like to be alive in the social media era and have that be part of your life i cannot imagine not even fathom like what that does even fathom when you're walking into work the next day yep. what it must be like to be hitting a buck 80 when, when you know when everyone you did was anything on. people had your jersey on Yep, absolutely crazy. So I wish him the best. I really do. If I'm wrong on him and he does pan out and Jared Kelnick completely turns around and Justin gets to take victory laps on every pod, I will be right there running next to him saying, hey, I got it wrong. Good. I love it. I want to root for him. But I am not super optimistic right now with Jared Kelnick. Let's talk Cal Rowley. Big breakout year last year. He, big dumper was awesome. 27 homers. Uh, did hit 211, but at catcher, you're hitting 20-something homers. You're fantasy viable, especially in two catcher leagues. It just doesn't really matter where the batting average is. However, a lot of folks are pretty intrigued that the batting average could tick up. 226 BABIP and some shift numbers that folks are saying maybe ah. he could be a beneficiary of the shift changes. Uh, you know, he is a switch hitter, so he's not just one of those lefties that's going to benefit. But there has been some analysis from his proponents that say not a batting average asset, but maybe more of like a 230s, 240s, which with 20 plus homers would be amazing. I have thrown out the name as a, a concern of like a Mike Zunino type situation that has me a little bit worried about uh, okay. Raleigh. I like him, but I don't love him. Where do we stand after the breakout year? Yeah, I think I probably like him a little bit more than than you. I think that I would expect him to perform about the same as he did in, in 2022, that there's going to be 20-some homers and a low batting average. and you know. So none of those hitting my weight bottom outs that, uh, that Zunino has had? It's possible. Um, but I don't know that it's likely. I think the switch hitting component is going to help him there. Yeah, that's a good call. It makes him a little bit more immune to to people be, being like, "Hey, like this guy is dangerous, so we have to make a pitching change here." Like it's a little harder to deal with him. Um, you know, and when you really think about it, especially as reliever usage has accelerated, about a third of these guys at bats, maybe a little bit more than that, um are are probably impacted by the decision making of the opposing manager with the intent to get them out. Yep. So it's, it's a little it's easier to do that against someone like Zanino who you're like all right this guy's allergic to right on right sliders so <laughs> in we this situation where in. we have to get him out I have a guy who does that. Yes. But with Calrali it's harder to do that because of the switch hitting component. So um, I think it'll be about the same. I think maybe I would take a shot on some 
guys who I think have like a bigger ceiling, like a Kyber Ruiz or, mm-hmm. um, you know, even like William Contreras, like overall probably just bigger ceiling, even, even if he's not a, a, as good a defensive catcher as Cal Raleigh and might be a DH left fielder probably qualifies as he you still know, qualifies. Catcher. So yeah, that's all you really care about. Where do, you, where do you stand since we're mentioning some catchers that have kind of graduated, but are still youngish. What about Tyler Stevenson? Cause I, I adore him. Do, yep. do you still see a big upside for him? Cause I think the power's in the body, even though it hasn't been in the numbers just yet. And it was starting to last year before the injuries crept in. Yes. I still think that the contact piece of it is going to be there enough that you want this guy anyway, even if yes. there's never a power breakout. Yeah. I'm a big Tyler Stevenson guy. And this okay. is also, the types of guys who like get dinged a bunch and then end up breaking out in their mid twenties are all built like this. They are all tanks, six, four plus, you know, it's Tyler flowers. It's Travis Darno. It's, it's mm-hmm. guys like this who have a body built for the grind of catching and do stuff on offense. They are the ones who tend to in their like physical prime have three or four years of big time performance. And I absolutely think Tyler Stevenson is of that ilk. Great. Didn't even know you were going to co-sign that much, but love that because I'm I'm a huge, huge Stevenson fan. So I think I'm going to be a little less cool on, on Raleigh here. Maybe I am overdoing it with the Zanino stuff, especially with the switch hitting. That's a great point that, that you make because he faces so many uh, right, right sliders that you said like devastate Zanino. Raleigh, you don't, you're not able to do that as well. So let's get back to the Mariners here um, and talk about some of the other guys. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the Gilbert Kirby combo. I see them similarly because they're control command based righties, of course. But do you see a split between them? Because right now the market is really leaning heavily toward Kirby between the two. Um, Do you see them close split? If so, who's your favorite? Uh, George Kirby and Logan Gilbert. Gilbert's velo during his lifetime as like a player who I know about has been up and down enough that I would just take Kirby's stability all of those strikes, um, I, I would probably rather have Kirby. There's, you know, I would worry Gilbert's just been ridden so hard over the last five years that, you know, there there's a shelf life there that he, I still think he pitches well enough that if he's going to live at like 91, that that's fine. But Kirby, I just feel like he's always, since his velo has ticked up, it's just sustained there. It doesn't matter how many innings he throws. And he just hammers the zone, and I just feel so good about his ability to sort of stay there. Uh, and then because the command is so good that maybe he has that, like, peak Bieber type of season in him where, you know, his slider just gets to a place where it's good enough that because he commands it like a robot that yes. it plays like a plus-plus pitch even though it's only fine. Um, and, yeah, so, like, Kirby for sure, especially if, you know, the innings load that he seems likely to carry – is meaningful to you in some way. Uh, like if you're like in a whip, you know, whip is one of your categories and this guy is like, doesn't walk anybody. And I the know. volume of innings he's throwing is, is making your pool of innings, you know, diluting everybody's whip. Uh, yeah. I, that sounds pretty good. I, I love it. I, I am higher on Kirby myself. I like Gilbert, but I totally understand yeah, me the, uh, the concerns with regards to uh, the workload that he's had. Cause he really has been pushed. Uh, they're both nice though. It's a good, good rotation out there. Let's talk. Um, let's talk Evan white real quick because he got that do- deal. I know yes. he gets all these Jonathan Singleton comparisons for obvious reasons. Cause he got a deal before he ever debuted uh, or right around when he debuted. It hasn't gone well so far. He's going to be 27 now. Is there any hope for Evan White to become anything on the big league landscape? Man, it's so hard. And he's probably someone who fantasy folks don't have to really worry about because, 
Number one, as a prospect, he was so contact oriented anyway. It was like, is there enough power here for this guy to be a first baseman? And then he started to trade contact for power. And at the big league level, it became an issue. Um, and, and also his defense, you know, that was a big feature here is that this is an elite defensive first baseman, which, you know, for fantasy who can't so, do anything. Yeah. Um, what, you know, watching him a little bit so far this spring, um, and you know, the, the film from 2022, he's gotten pretty big. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen here. It's, it's a weird backwards profile. Like these guys who throw left and hit right, mm-hmm. you know, the Ryan Ludwigs of the world, it's really oh, hard to find name. space for them unless you're Ricky Henderson or whatever, but yeah. you know, Evan White's swinging hard. Um, I don't know that he's like gone back to his old contact oriented approach. He seems like he's swinging a little bit high, you know, like he's probably a stay away and don't get tricked by whatever he might do in the PCL because it's the PCL. It's the PCL. So the numbers are there are going to be pretty big. I know he homered on Monday, but um, I, and I, you know, he was a, a top 100 guy for us before he graduated. And so like, mm-hmm. I'm hoping he does well. Yeah. Like he's another one I like I root for, but I just, I'm, I'm not seeing it right now. So it would have to, he'd have to buck my expectations. Cause right now I don't see it with Evan white and he does, you know, at first base as well. Right. If he was a, just even a second baseman, just something that wasn't first um, there might be something for fantasy hope, but for right now he'd have to show a lot more before we really get excited about him. Anybody else on the Mariners that you, that you want to yeah. single out as somebody who could, uh, who can make some noise this year. I think people want to monitor Prolander Baroa, who okay. they got from the Giants in a trade last year. Baroa's kind of hopped around. He was in the uh, Twins trade with San Francisco for that. Man, I forget the guy's name. The reliever who was like abusive to his girlfriend who never pitched for the Twins. Um, they like uh, trade. Sam couple- Dyson? That's it. Sam Dyson. Yep. Shit. Uh, yeah. Prolander so- Baroa is, is a pitcher, by the way, for the Mariners here. Yes. Um, so he's now with Seattle. And uh, what, what do we think uh, he's- can happen here? Humming at like 97 and 99 the other day with a really nasty slider, you know. So I don't yeah, there's there are a bunch of guys ahead of him in this save hierarchy here. Sure. But on pure stuff, he's got a chance to be in that mix with the Andres Munoz, Paul Seawald, like I Diego Castillo. Like his stuff is that good. Okay. So everyone keep an eye on that guy. He's got an outside shot for to to have saves, I think, this year. And uh, Justin Martinez with the Diamondbacks as well. It's a guy who I, I did not mention, uh, I don't think, last uh, on the NL pod. I don't think so, yeah. You know, came out the gates 99 to 101 the other day. Uh, he's on the 40, man. He developed a splitter last year coming off of TJ. That, that's a pretty And that's an open rate. spot in Arizona. Like You could fight yes. for saves there if you're doing something. So Justin Martinez, a little extra NL name here for y'all Yes, uh, with, with the Diamondbacks. Good call out there. He is pumping absolute ched. Uh, speaking of guys with nasty stuff in their bullpen, is Matt Brash, he's a bullpen guy for, for the long haul, right? Probably. I think that they can make the decision to use him as a long reliever and that will give him the innings foundation that if they do want to move him into the rotation next year, maybe he'll, he'll have thrown a hundred innings out of the pen. Yeah. Um, and you know, so a 20 year increase the next year into to what would be like a five and dive starter role. That seems okay. pretty feasible. Yeah, that's totally fair. It, it comes down to that command, right? If, if, if Brash can take a step forward in his command, 
I could totally see a starter. I just worry that right now it's like 35 command. Sure. And and thus it's going to be hard for him to get out of there. But the, the stuff is undeniable. I love Matt yes. Rash's stuff, and I would love to see him work his way into starter. But if not, there could be some uh, some quality relief. Uh, Jonathan Klasse is on the 40. Could he pro- provide any sort of a speed component? I mean, he's he's only reached a ball so i don't even know how right. close he is but he is on the 40 was this just one of those things where they're like he has too much talent we can't leave him exposed even though he's so young i think they they were a little overzealous two years in a row adding alberto rodriguez who they've since offed from the yep. 40 and then class a like probably a little bit premature i get why they did it and i i get it more so in class a's case because he can really fly like this this is actually a really fast guy not this is not like artificial stolen bases in the minors guy like this guy can really really run he led my um, OTP league three years in a row for steals. I know I keep bringing it up like a giant nerd, but like literally had <laughs> 84 steals one year. So that's why I know Klasse. Well, you're talking to, you know, like I've got a an MVP 5 franchise. That's yes. Like, yeah. And you way. had the, all the showdown. I, I know I'm with my people here with yeah, talking yeah. with you when you had all the showdown cards when we came out and played. But just for the listeners, I know they're probably like, enough with your league, dork. <laughs> but this is how I know a lot of these players. And it does kind of help me get like a frame yes. of reference for them too. Uh, so, you know, in a, in a Gerard Dyson type of, you know, I think he's got roster utility in a big league sense, maybe this, this year when it's September and they're like, you know, it would be really nice if we had a guy who could steal us a base whenever we absolutely needed one. Mm -hmm. Um, and so maybe he's that type of, you know, Terrence score role, but, uh, uh, he is a long way off from having like regular big league at bats that's totally fair i just wanted to bring him up because he's on the 40 uh anybody else for seattle before we move on yeah actually let me get back to their depth chart here to, to make sure that i mention the one or two guys who i think i guess i did hit on baroa which is the big one mm-hmm. um and then this team is pretty good at developing pitching y'all so the two names to the point toward our, you know, I think Emerson Hancock, you probably want to stay away from. Okay. There's been enough injury smoke there to just like stay away from it. The fastball shape is not great anyway. And then beyond that, like Bryce Miller, uh, that's a guy who's got like uphill. Yeah, he's on the 100. Um, I think that he's pretty high on the list of guys who are like in line for a big league rotation spot in the event that they have like a couple of injuries or if like Marco Gonzalez is bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Taylor Dollard as well. More of a command oriented guy, more stability than there is upside whereas Miller is like the monster fastball upside guy. Uh, and then who's there's one more dude here. Oh yeah. Yeah. Brian Wu. Brian, so Brian Wu. Wu went to Cal Poly uh, San Luis Obispo and you know, Mid 90s, huge fastball. He blew out almost immediately after he got into pro ball. Came back in the fall league. This is another guy where his fastball is huge. It's, you know, in the mid 90s and has all of the underlying traits that help fastballs be super duper great. Um, And it's just about finding another pitch for him. And so he just hasn't had as much time to develop in pro ball as some, you know, most pitchers his age. Yeah, he's 23 and Brian Wu's only hit. Uh, high A so far. So right. he just hasn't had that experience to really figure himself out yet. But in this system with like what they've been able to do with all these pitchers that we've been talking about, uh, I think there's a pretty good chance that they find something for him. So uh, certainly from an arm action and athleticism standpoint, this is the type of guy who I have like long-term change-up projection on. You know, it's just that short, quick, I'm selling that it's a fastball to you, change-up arm action. 
so I think there will be something here, but um, that's probably more of a multi-year guy to keep an eye on. Sure. Brian, Brian Wu for Seattle. Let's move on to the Angels. And obviously, prospects have not been a, a major part of their game. Neither has success, unfortunately. Now, a guy that the fantasy market is liking that I think they need to maybe tap their brakes on, not because I don't like the player. I actually quite like Logan Ohapi. And I've heard it's Ohapi. Is that correct? It's Ohapi. Okay, so Logan Ohapi, the catcher. I keep hearing watch out for Thais to maybe take that role because he's out of options. And that, and then they would put Ohapi back in the minor yeah. so that he can get everyday burn. How concerned are you for that? Because the fantasy market is taking Ohapi as though he's going to break camp. Watch Logan Ohapi catch Shohei Otani and a bunch of other guys yesterday. Um, he's ready. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I thought so in fall. And that's why I get why people are hyped on him. I was hyped too. Yeah. But then I kept seeing all this crap about, and I don't want to shit on Rice, but like that right. he could take that backup role and then Ohapi's the, the odd man out with Stasi being the starter. I think that Thice is probably fighting for a roster spot with like Brett Phillips or something like that. Okay. Whereas but, Hoppy's a little bit more set. Dude, he, you know, he homered to the opposite field yesterday. His bat to ball skills are quite good. He's always been a surprisingly polished defender. Uh, just a great, great draft pick. Honestly, like I saw Hoppy in high school and I liked him a bunch. He was on a team with a bunch of other guys, like a travel ball team called the Arkansas sticks. Um, that's cool. They kids from all over the country. It is like a high end travel ball team with a lot of SEC commits. He was like, I watched a high school lineup full of dudes who ended up going D1 and pro and thought Ohapi was sort of in the middle of that group. And he was pretty clearly like the best, one of the best two or three guys. Wow. Um, yeah. And like Philly did such a great job. You know, this was not like a super high draft pick, but they really. They did their homework on the kid. They had a great, you know, interpersonal relationship with him that was part of why he signed with them. Yeah, 20 and then, pick. Yeah. Um, so uh, but yeah, just like he is ready. I think the fact that they let him catch Shohei is kind of telling. Okay. You know, that's great. Like, that 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 builds my juice back up. Cause like I said, I was in and then like I kept reading these tea leaves on the thigh stuff, but if he's fighting like a, like you said, a Phillips for the spot. Because Dice can play other where uh, other spots than catcher. In fact, right. I think catcher's probably his worst spot. He's yes. more of a corner guy. So maybe they would hold him at, and he'd be an emergency catcher and then the backup corner guy. And then Ohapi's un unmoved by that and Stasi's the backup then, right? Are you are you thinking that Ohapi could be the starter? Or at least think, the sixty on the sixty forty split? I think yeah, I think that you know clear i think he's talented enough and that they you know they just need to be in from day one here like there's no there shouldn't really be like concern for logan ohapi six years from now yeah or seven years from now when you know this is shohei otani's last it, year exactly. before hitting, like let's go right now and i just think that this guy's talented enough that you know he's he's in the middle of the hundred in part because of the defensive stuff that I like, it just feel like when you can catch like this young guy can and have any offensive ability at all, that you're probably going to be a solid everyday catcher. And and yeah, that's where I'm at with Ohapi. But also, he does have that Tyler Stevenson like build where look at this kid's frame, you know. Mm -hmm. And so over time, I think there will be more power, but I think initially it will be more contact oriented, but still right in the middle of that, you know, he's if on the the big league scale, if I'm lining up all the catchers who have 
accumulated at least like 350 plate appearances at the end of the year, I would expect Ohapi to be like smack in the middle of those guys. Okay. So maybe he's like a, a low end catcher one in fantasy because he's, you know, catcher number 15. Yeah. But for me, you know, in my world, holy shit for a kid that young to be that good already. That's a big deal. Absolutely. And uh, I have made an adjustment on his playing time. My, my skills for him were already there. So I moved his playing time back up and he did move right into that range that you're talking about. I have him 17th now, so he'll be a great C2. Logan Ohapi, I'm, I'm back in. Matt Theis, get out of here. I got too scared of him. Uh, Zach Nito also made the list. Now yeah. he's a guy who was just drafted last year and already hit double A. Is he a quick arriver to where there might be a world where he gets there this year, or was that just uh, he got to double A and he's going to be a double A, triple A guy this year? Cause he wasn't, he, he okay. Nito's success at double A was there. His underlying skills looked a little bit more suspect relative to that success to me. Yes. But maybe I have that read wrong. Talk to us about Zach Nito and where he's at on his timeline. You know, the, obviously the Angels with all of the college pitching that they've drafted, mm -hmm. uh, they've accelerated all of that to the upper levels of the minors very, very quickly. It makes a ton of sense given what they're trying to execute in this little window they have left at the big league level. And uh, they did it with Neto as well. Neto, excuse me. I think that they're going to they're gonna pump the brakes a little bit and have more of like the double A, triple A line. Okay. The gap between what he was facing, this was a small conference hitter. Uh, you know, so to go from Campbell to double a that's a pretty big leap that's and massive he looked a little overmatched in the big league game yesterday against some of the oakland arms you know just a little bit chase prone he hasn't seen breaking balls of this quality so you know i think they should you know it's gonna be double a triple a guy i think um probably not a 2023 guy to worry about but i still yeah he's on the hundred he was a 50 future value before the draft love his chances of staying at shortstop Remarkable bat-to-ball track record at Campbell. Really athletic swing for a little little guy. Uh, and I do think there's going to be some power here too. So just a well-rounded middle infielder for me. But probably not someone fantasy folks have to care about. for, And probably not next year either. Okay. Zach Neto, don't get too hung up on the fact that he made double A already. Tap the brakes there. Reed Detmers looks like a dude to me. Um, when he first came up, Obviously, he was finding some success despite not really dominating. And if you looked under the hood, you were unimpressed. Then he had the no-hitter, which was a pretty unimpressive no-hitter. Hey, it's still a no-hitter. No no shade, but it wasn't super dominant. Goes down to the minors. It was, it was like, I think it just standard two-week blip down there. Finds the slider, comes back, looked excellent in the second half. Is he ready for a full-on breakout season here? Uh, or am I overrating that second no. half? I think that that he's going to be quite good. That you know he might end up being the this team's number two when we look back at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like Reed Demers has never thrown especially hard, and then he started to. Uh, he has all the components to get guys out, even if he's not throwing hard or has periods where he you know his stuff is not as crisp just because of the pitch mix and mm -hmm. the command. So uh, yeah, I like Reed Demers quite a bit. I think he's. A, like a roster rosterable guy in fantasy um probably take him over like the patrick sandoval, sandoval jose suarez types um I, I have he and sandoval close i, I like that, sandoval but yes. obviously there's some issues with uh you know keeping base runners off you know he he has those command issues where you're watching him throw those change-ups and they're just buried that I could take them, you know, like they're out of the hand, you know, they're going to be scraping the ground and he gets himself in these deep counts. What about Suarez though? That's a sleeper type. That's getting some juice. He's not very expensive in the fantasy market. So it's not like you're paying a big toll, 
But uh, could he have a quality, say, 150 innings season? He threw 109 last year, had some great second-half success. Is there more here, or was last year kind of a peak? I had Suarez in the top 100 back in 2019, right before he graduated. Lefties with this level of command and a changeup this good tend to perform pretty well. Mm-hmm. He's dealt with a bunch of injuries and had you know a mediocre 2021 where he didn't really miss very many bats, and then that started to get better last year. So, yeah, I, I'd like to think that that Jose Suarez is uh, another mid rotation dude. Um, the slider usage was way, way up in 2022 compared to previous years. So there are reasons to think that, you know, he's made a change. Uh, and the group that was developing arms in Anaheim uh, from the previous regime, you know, I think their track record was maybe not the best, which is part of why there was never the pitching depth to support these star guys at the, you know, on a top heavy roster. Yeah. Because they weren't churning out the random, you know, perfectly fine guys. Um, and so maybe some of that applied to Suarez and, and has improved here over the last year. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in that whole group, I think. Yeah, me too. I, I really do like that group. Uh, going to their minor league guys that are on the 40 that could be up if if this group has problems. Um, Chase Silseth, Chris Rodriguez, Griffin Canning. Griffin Canning looks healthy. They say all systems go with him. Can he pick up where, where some of his hype left off before the injuries really set in with Griffin Canning? Yes, he's another one where I, I don't know how he's looked here yet this spring. Um, but yes, like plus on mound athlete uh, has a lot of the same stuff that, you know, that UCLA prototype arm has where two distinct breaky balls, throwing four pitches, fastball command is fine. Um, you know, getting the most out of his out of his medium frame type guy and so yeah, I like Griffin Canning fine, um, but obviously, yeah, this whole group of pitching has kind of been up and down. Yeah, um, and, and, so, and there could be, you know, he might not have the room. I mean, we'll see what Tucker Davidson is and, and what's going on there. I I liked Still Seth Chase Still Seth last year. He made the jump from Double A. I thought he showed some flashes. I mean, the results were ugly: six fifty nine, one fifty seven ERA, WHIP, bunch of homers, bunch of hits. I totally get it. But I happened to watch most of those twenty eight and two thirds that he threw, and I thought I saw some things that were that were appealing. He dominated Double A at age twenty two. In fact, that's where he went back to even when he got sent back out, as opposed to going to Triple A. Um, is there anything here for Still Seth to build on for this year to where he could be a, a summer guy for them? Yeah, so Silseth was a JUCO guy here in Arizona and then matriculated to U of A. And for whatever reason, or was he was he Southern Nevada? He was it was definitely a Southwest JUCO for Silseth, but um whether it was Southern Nevada or Central Island, I don't remember. I think it was Southern Nevada. Um it was um, Southern Nevada and yeah. yeah, yeah, after Arizona and Tennessee. So he's been all around. <laughs> right. So he did, yeah, it was like Tennessee and then Southern Nevada and then U of A. Okay, so that that was the trajectory. Okay, and um, his splitter, for whatever reason, when he transferred to U of A, they really de-emphasized that. And I thought in junior college that that was clearly his best pitch. And I think that you've seen that pitch really resurge in terms of his usage. Uh, and so I think that that is is maybe a separator for him. His fastball doesn't play great, even though it's hard. It is very vulnerable. Just doesn't have the other stuff happening for it that yep. like a big league bat missing fastball has. Um, so he's gonna have to. He's gonna be inefficient because he's gonna have to throw that splitter and his slider a ton. Because uh, his fastball, you know, in order to play, it's gotta it's gotta sneak up on guys. Um, 
So, you know, I am more lukewarm on him and, and have him projected in a vacuum in relief. I think that's But I totally do think he's going to be a valuable big league piece of some kind, just maybe not for fantasy. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. You know, I'm only drafting him in the 50-round draft and holds just in case, and I'm getting him super late. Um, I'm a sucker for splitters. I know the volatility that they bring, though, to create a wide, wide range of outcomes. So I like still Seth, but I understand that it might not even be starter. It might be multi-inning reliever. And then Chris Rodriguez is the other one. He debuted uh, back in 2021 and then went through injury this past year. Uh, didn't pitch at all. Was, was it TJ for him? Was I'm not sure. He's another one who's the list at this point is so very, very long. Yeah, let me find. Uh, He's had all kinds of different things. He has had, yeah, multiple things. But he missed all of 2022. Uh, where I would Okay, because because of the injury list yeah. is just too too high. Maybe you put him in the Cody Morris bucket uh, because when Rodriguez tends to be healthy, he does tend to be pretty good. It was shoulder um, surgery, by the way. Which okay, is then yeah, if, I would just, yeah, I would just avoid it then. Okay, yeah, we don't even have to go any deeper then. Anybody else for the Angel? Oh, I guess I got to do a little Joe Adele bit. If we did Kelnick, we got to yeah. do Adele. Same type Fuck. of thing here where I'm like, I love the guy, man. I want to be wrong. I want him to be good. I really, really, really do. But holy shit, so much swing and miss. He's only 24, though, so I can't bury him. I can't completely forget him. But where do we stand right now on Joe Adele's ceiling? Yeah, I mean, Does he need sucks, like change but... of scenery? Or, I mean, I don't know. going I to a new place is bad. not going to make you not swing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know, right? Like, I just think yeah. he's so, so, sometimes guys are so – gifted that it takes big league pitching to expose that they're not actually good. And I know that Joe, I want to acknowledge that Joe Adele has taken umbrage with people saying like this, he's just a raw, you know, athletic baseball player because often they're, you know, I do think black, black baseball players are stereotyped in a way that is shaded like that in terms of the way that they are described and like yeah. written about and scouted. And also in Joe Adele's case, it's true. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like I I totally understand him I, saying that, but like, that's what it's proven to be though, because at the high minors, yeah. the swing and miss has been exposed. So it was the raw talent that carried him through the lower minors. So he's right it wasn't on the even general that bad. Point. Yeah, when when he was like a young guy at at you know he was nineteen or twenty in the upper levels of the minors already, and it was pretty palatable. Mm hmm some of the swing and miss stuff, there were pops of it. And visually you always knew that it was, it was lurking there. And there were definitely people dating back to when he was in high school who were just like, Hey, there's a lot of hit tool risk there. Like be careful. But he performed so well and was so young that, yeah, I bought into and, and, but when you watch him like play defense in the outfield corners, you can't think of any other thing other than like, this is raw. This is rough. This is, you know, unpolished his feel for, baseball minutia is not great. And, you know, he, the bat to ball stuff has really been exposed by big league pitching and it sucks, but you know, it doesn't, it, he sure doesn't look great and um, doesn't look like he's made a ton of just adjustment, like in terms of not necessarily like me mechanics or anything like that, mm -hmm. but just in terms of like, Oh, that's a slider. Like I see that I spoiled that, or I laid off that, like that's not happening. This is, you know, he still is just swinging at it's the same non-competitive pitches a lot of the time. Yeah, It really is. And so, like I said, I think Adele's general point that if you're stereotyping a black player as raw, that is wrong. In his case, he's been raw and it hasn't cooked. Like the, it, it has not progressed 
from that from that raw state of player so i'm just not sure what's there and they do have a former 1-1 on their team mickey money i get tougher to get the 1-1 because i'm not even sure if no. you know outside of having hindsight of knowing all the players in that draft and picking somebody like out of the first round who's popped from there i don't even know if you can really dog the phillies for that pick because there just hasn't there wasn't been much from that draft to develop do you see anything for moniac to where he could become a fantasy viable deep league nah. uh, asset no no I, I i don't either to be honest i was hoping maybe you had something but i mean again if you're looking at it what senzel uh anderson ian anderson riley pint Corey ray aj puck braxton garrett cal quantrill matt manning and zach collins are the top 10 even if you gave them the list of like the, these are the top 10 guys where they are in 2023 even if you could have magically teleported that to them in 2016 who the hell would they have taken that would have been right. so much better Quantrill, yeah right like Quantrill, and maybe had Quantrill been healthy that whole season instead of you know just throwing bullpens at the end yeah maybe he ends up going one like he's just the generic safe feeling college pitcher who just yep like, with blood take line. up there yeah um, but that's it. Like, and, and even, you know, the, the best player in the first round, including the comp is Will Smith, but he was 30, definitely. he was 32nd. So they was never in contention for one. He was never in that mix. It was more. And even then Will Smith, his swing compared to his Louisville swing is so much different now. Like the Dodgers tapped into way more power than he hit for at Louisville. Mm -hmm. That is more of a developmental success than anything else. Like, but yeah. yeah, Will Will Smith. So you can't dog them out for that. And right? Gavin Lux kind of looked like the best two players from this yep. early portion of this draft. Man, I'm so bummed about Gavin Lux. I'm so, so, so fucking. And Brian Reynolds. And Pete Alonso oh, yeah. and Boba Bo Like, they all went in the second round. And yeah, so they, you would have needed the almanac, uh, the, the Back to the Future almanac, to have the second round included for Philly to help them make a better pick there. Uh, anybody else for the Angels? Like you said, they've drafted a lot of college pitching, um, and their rotation is kind of you know relatively set here. I'm not sure that there's much else, but anybody else that you want to at least give a name check to? You know, watch Michael Stefanik just to see him and Stephen Kwan and Nick Madrigal have always been like the guys towards the very top of the swinging strike rate leaderboard, but yeah. Stefanik seems so lacking physicality um, that I remain skeptical, even as I was like all in on the other two. And he doesn't bring the speed of Quan, or at least hasn't throughout the minors to where he would even give you those like double digit stolen base rates that you could get some fantasy juice from. So yeah, Stefanik makes great contact, but it's empty as hell. I think even, I think like he's a lesser David Fletcher, which kind of tells you where he's at on the fantasy landscape. Let's move over to Texas. Well, what, let me oh, go ahead. touch on two guys. So Kai, oh, yeah, Bush, go ahead. Kai Bush and Ben Joyce are the two of those college pitchers who they've picked recently. If they accelerate either of them, you know, th that might be interesting. Like Kai Bush either as a rotation piece or a reliever. And, and ben, ben Joyce maybe as like a closer. Like maybe. the badass at uh, Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I like Carlos Estevez, but he by no means has that locked and loaded to where he couldn't be pushed off by somebody who comes – you know, as the, the flame throw in, uh, you know, youngster out of nowhere. So Ben Joyce, good name check there and Kai Bush as well. So we'll see what the angels can do this year. I just want them to make the playoffs just because of trout and Otani. I'm not even an angels fan. I just want those guys playing in the bright lights or in, in the, uh, the lights of October. So hopefully it happens Maybe, Let's move over yeah. to Texas. They are on the come up. You know, they, they've been spending money lately. Uh, their system has been pretty young recently. They did graduate uh, one big prospect. Actually, no. Did Young graduate? Am I 
graduating another guy. No, he's, he's still graduating. on there. That's right. He only got September play. So Josh Young is a guy I really like. Now, he had a weird sample last year where he yeah. came to the majors after that shoulder issue, missed a ton, and 38% strikeout rate, 13% swing strike. He was missing a ton at, at AAA as well, but he only played two months. And he mentioned that he kind of lost himself a little bit. He wants to get back to his old approach, which was a really strong plate approach. I know it's hard to judge because the, the the time missed with the injuries for Josh Young, but where do we stand on him? Is there a big upside? Cause I kind of have him for a breakout this year. Yeah. I'm in on Josh Young. You know, he's had two consecutive years with severe injury, but still kind of freak injuries. Like he fractured his foot, the foot, especially. And then he had another one of those like shoulder labrum tears that some of these guys who swing really hard have kind of had, um, yeah, the, the guy, Josh Young of last year was so chase prone, just like swinging at stuff that was nowhere near the zone. And that's just never what he's been. So this is one where I'm just inclined to dismiss. This is a two-month sample in the context of multiple years of uh, prolonged injury absence. And you're asking this guy go, to go right to AAA and then the big leagues, like not surprising that he chased. So mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm in pretty big on Josh Young too. Excellent. Excellent. I'd love to hear that because, like I said, I'm super excited for him. I'm kind of pushing him up the board because, as I mentioned, third base is a little light. Um, I know we've talked a lot of catchers, and I think one of the first things I said at the beginning of this is be careful fantasy uh, prospect catchers in fantasy. But Sam Huff has has shown some crazy pop uh, in the past, and as recently as last year, he had 21 homers in 63 games at AAA. Now, that is PCL. But is he finally healthy enough? I mean, he's 25, so it's not like, you know, he's old, but he's been around for a while. And I think people have been maybe kind of forgetting him. Could Sam Huff make an impact, especially if he's one of those non-catching catchers and getting some time say at uh first or DH. Yeah, I think that's possible. He does have gigantic power. It seems like Nate Lowe has really grabbed a hold of the first base job. Here. Yeah. And even if you think that, that he peaked last year and will like never do that again, he's probably going to be given every opportunity to fail coming off of that year. I totally agree. I, I love him. So I don't think he peaked, but, but yeah, it would be like more like spelling low occasionally. Maybe DH would be the, the opportunity there with Miller and Garver splitting it right now, which that's not a bad platoon, but they're both right. injury guys that have had plenty of time missed. So maybe Huff can find some extra burn there. Sure. It's possible for sure. If he's getting, if he's getting regular at bats, you know, for whatever reason, then I do think he's worth rostering because of how much power there is. But I'm a Jonah Heim guy. I'm a huge Jonah Heim guy. So I don't think he's going to take over the, I don't think Sam Huff would take over the catcher role. Yeah, I agree. Okay, cool. Let's, uh, let's continue on then and get into their uh, other prospects, namely one Jack Leiter, because I think people are going to want to talk about him a bit. Obviously has the big name coming out of Vandy. Where do we stand after his uh, first pro year? Yeah. So I think, you know, Jack Leiter is one of those guys where you got to be careful with the internet hype stuff. Same thing with Kamar Rocker here. Mm-hmm. Um, it really does inflate expectations. Like, you know, Jack Leiter, what we just described, you know, if you thought Cal Quantrill would be this among these draft guys, you just take him one. That's basically what Jack Leiter was. Like, yeah, yeah, this guy's like, fine. He'll probably move quickly and be, you know, a number three or number four starter on our a, a contending big league team. Uh, his, you know... His command regressed. Uh, he definitely, he's always been more of a power pitcher than like a precise command guy. Mm-hmm. But I would not have, I would have bet the over if you'd have told me, you know, how good this guy's command going to be in 2022. Like, I was surprised at how bad that was. Uh, you know, I just think the characteristics of his fastball give him a lot of, 
give him a high floor. Uh, even if it's only, you know, he's sitting 93, 95, uh, there's enough ride there that I think that it will be fine. Um, okay. and you know, the shape of his secondary stuff is, is good. Like th- I didn't really move off of Jack lighter even after the season that he had. Um, and so maybe now I'm positioned as the high guy on him because, you know, he was so bad, but I just tend to think these guys are who they are over longer periods of time. And that Jack lighter has tended to be better than he was in 2022. And, uh, and we I, still saw glimpses of it in those 93 innings. It wasn't like it, it, the line is bad. 554, 155. I get why people are are sour a bit, but I agree with not moving off of Jack Leiter completely. And I really am kind of interested to see what he can do this year in, in his second full season. Um, I, I, I presume spent mostly at AAA. Yeah, I would not expect him to be in the big leagues this year. I'd be quite surprised okay. by that. Um, okay, so we I don't can see expect Rocker. I could see Rocker going because there might only be so many bullets. Yeah, and um, you just get those bullets in the majors out of the bullpen perhaps is what you're I thinking. think Owen White is the guy who I want. That's who I want to hit on next. Yes, talk to us about Owen White. He made the 100 high A, double A level last year, looking really nice. You put him at 32. That's a nice ranking for Owen White. He's a 55 with expectation for this yes. year. Talk to us. Plus command of four above average or better pitches. Uh, just super duper polished, and absolutely at some point this year, I think he will be one of Texas's like best five healthy starters. Oh, wow! And they have a lot of injury risk, right? Like, obviously, a lot of upside, but I'm not just talking to Grom, of course. John Gray with the foot consistently hurting him, but Nathan Ivaldi and Andrew Heaney have right. a massive list of injury history. I like all those pitchers, but we just don't know how long they're going to be there. So, Owen White could be a legit contributor. What about Cole Wynn? One-time top 100, if I recall correctly. Yeah, and uh, same draft class as White. That's right, and he has regressed a bit though. 2023 or 2022 over at AAA was uh, challenged. Let's say it. 15% walk rate was really tough, yeah. and that's what really you know base runners were on left and right, and it led to a 174 WHIP. Again, the PCL is tough. I can give him a little scrape off at the top of those numbers, but it's still a 651 ERA. So even if I regress him down a little bit. Uh, to give him some favorability for the environment. Cole Wynn still struggled. Is there a rebound here? What what can he be at the majors, and is he going to contribute this year? I don't think he'll be up this year. Yeah, here's one where, you know, at some point, Cole Wynn was like the most polished high school pitcher in his draft class, such that, you you know, I was writing about him like, look, you know, there's not a lot of college pitching in this draft, so if you want the stability of a college pitcher, just take Cole Wynn. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the and for a while <laughs> that looked fine. And then, you know, at some point he stopped throwing strikes. And at some point I thought about him the way I think about Jack lighter in this moment, which is, ah, but for most of his life, he's throwing strikes. And so I bet he'll do it again. And he hasn't, and things have like continued to be pretty rough. Um, so yeah, I would, you know, I'd stay away from him from now. I don't, I don't think that he's going to be up this year unless things really click. Uh, and they might not click at all. Like now we have multiple years where this has been an issue. And so to me, that's an indication that it's more of like an actual development rather than like an, a statistical anomaly. Okay. I think that's completely fair on him. I, I like Colwyn, but I totally understand the concerns with him right now. Let's talk about their other guys on the 100. Evan Carter is a uh, 21-year-old ranked 67th on the list, had a really impressive uh, run at AA and got a little little show, got a week at AA. So he's going to be there. He's 20 years old. He's, he's a long way off, 
but the expectation or the excitement is ramping up on Evan Carter. What do we see from him on the dynasty landscape? I, this is guys probably overvalued in fantasy right now. Okay. He strikes me as someone just based on what, like the day after the hundred chat was like, where people are like, why aren't you higher on him? And I, and I was confused. <laughs> so there wasn't even really universal support to have him on the hundred. In fact, it was like south of 50, 50, really like people who thought Evan Carter was a slam dunk top 100 prospect. He's got an amazing soft skills can really play center field. You know, the on base component here is real. Uh, and I think the bat to ball is as well. And I think that there are definitely some people who, you know, if you just look at his measurables, he's 6'4", 190, and he's like 20 years old, who mm -hmm. are like, ah, there will be power eventually, right? Like, look at how he's built and how young he is. And that makes sense to me. But when you watch him swing, he's just not that type of explosive, power-hitting athlete guy. Okay. So, like, Evan Carter's path to being a star player for me is he's Nimmo. Oh, okay. Where that, that, that doesn't have as much fantasy juice either. So that's like where he's performing as like a star. That to me is what it looks like. Now, some of the other guys who we've talked about, like Rafaela and Pete Crow Armstrong, like part of the reason I juice them in my world is because of the defensive component. And that's definitely at play here. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that like this is going to be a relatively low impact guy unless you're in an OBP driven league, and then then I think you you want to be on him. But otherwise, I I would bet that the hype in exceeds his fantasy value. Okay, so maybe cash that in then if you have Evan oh, Carter yes. and see where people are at with him, and you have one of the big uh, big lovers of Evan Carter there, maybe you can get more value than he's he's worth right now on the fantasy landscape. That makes sense. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Luis Angel Acuna, of course. Got 104 on the list. Another guy who's at least a couple years off, it seems. But, maybe, I mean, it would take a lot, I think, to, for him to debut this year. Finished at double A, 37 games there. Didn't didn't go well. So, yeah, I don't really think there's any expectation for him to go this year. But what do we think of Luis Angel Acuna? Watch the ground ball rates here. <clears throat> He's super explosive for a little guy. And there's real, real impact power in here. And he's a capable defensive shortstop. Like, there's pretty big ceiling. But because he's so aggressive, he often makes – like, he often gets himself out. Okay. Um, and he's really lunging at a lot of – like, hitting into the ground. So, you know, the ground ball rates have always been very high here, like north of 50% mostly. And so if over – after a month of the season – that has changed and there's a meaningful difference there that to me is like swing change indicator number one and then i'm then i'm going into the tape and seeing all right like has something changed here mechanically uh but you know a statistical indicator of a, a relevant swing change here will show a lower ground ball rate so if that happens then you know i'm i'm buying until then there's a ton of risk here and i do think that he's behind a bunch of other guys in the depth chart like johnny ornellis you know, guys who are solid utility types, Josh Smith, uh, those guys can both play all over the place and are good defensive players. Um, and so I, I feel like the Rangers will be more likely to roster either of those guys in the event that like Corey Seager gets hurt or something like that. 
Yeah, I, I think that completely makes sense. Acuna is just, you know, somebody that probably just needs to figure out some things a little bit more at the mi minor league level before he can debut. Um, let's talk about Bubba Thompson. Uh, is there any potential for him to hit at all? I know he was a steals god for some folks down the stretch last year, and so they've got some favorability toward him with those 18 steals. But is he not just another, like, Terrence Gorge, Rod Dyson here? Or, or is there some hitting to be developed from Bubba Thompson? Yeah, you know, if he's going to play a bunch, then sure, I bet he will steal a ton of bases. And I really love Bubba Thompson a lot. And he's like one of those guys who you just see at baseball. Like you just, he's there watching the other guys play when he doesn't have to be there. Mm -hmm. You know, like he's just hanging out watching baseball. He loves baseball. He gave up a potential football career to like play baseball. I love it. Um, no CTE for him. So I want, but yeah, you know, he probably just is not going to hit enough. That's to, just to not there. Yeah. I, I, I want, there's another guy I'm rooting for him. And if he exceeds my expectations, I'll gladly take a fat L, but I'm just not seeing the bat to be enough. But if he does play consistently and you're in an AL only specifically where the bat threshold is lower than just take that speed. The guy who is going to start in center is a guy I still love. He is now graduated, of course, but Leody Tavares. Am I wrong to be excited about him? I know that he has the flaws of the free, you know, free swinging approach, not much patience, but I still love the power speed. Is there enough there with Leody that at age 24, he can actually have a breakthrough? I don't think so. Um, Damn. It's definitely the speed part of it. I bet will be there to a degree. He's mm -hmm. going to play a bunch because he's a good defensive center fielder. Yeah. He's a switch hitter where when you turn Leody around, you can't get him out. Like his right-handed swing is is pretty unusable in my opinion. But um, but yeah, you know he's only twenty four. At one point, I was in, totally in on Leody as a dude, and then the flaws started to show, and they have moved off of him. Yeah, um, and like just forty five, which is still basically what he's been. And that's, that's a major leaguer. I mean, that yeah. like he can have a long career like he can be in the bigs for like eight years doing that but you know he maybe even bounce around but like i get it there might not be that big special breakout coming and the, the the beauty is of power and speed though if he can hit like 14 homers and steal 25 bases that's a fantasy for sure dude for sure and so. zips really likes him okay zips has him as a as like a 50 bordering on a 55 here Sweet. So, so I'm having Dan on the next episode. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, I, I like him. I'm rooting for him. I'm, I'm taking him in leagues. I don't think it's an expensive price to pay, so I'll take my shot. But I, I grant that it is a high volatile, uh, high volatility outcome potential for um, uh, for Leone Tavares. Who else in the Rangers uh, situation right now do you think could maybe make an impact this year? I think Dustin Harris still has has a real chance to. Um, he was like a popular breakout pick a couple of years ago. And then mm -hmm. his 2022 was just fine. Um, he's just still so young looking physically that even though he's 23 and a half, I think there's still going to be more power there. It wouldn't surprise me if we were talking about him next year, like we were talking about like Casas right now. We're like, boy, there's sure is a ton of power. Okay. And as and big you, as you Dustin, got him on a pick to click, right? Dustin Aaron? Yes. Okay. Yeah. He was, I think. Either Tess or KG had him as their pick to click two off seasons ago. Um, and then I, you know, I still think he's in position where next offseason we'll be talking about him as like a top 100 guy if he if he hasn't played enough major league baseball to graduate this year. That, that'd be you know, great. He's he can really run too. Like 
I, you know, just doing the, the video work before the hundred came out, he's running fast. And this used to be like a first base DH type guy. And now he's like an above average to plus runner underway. So maybe there will be a bunch of steals here too. That, that, um, that'd be awesome. Dustin Harris stole 19 last year in 85 games with I 17 homers. So that would, that would be wonderful. And of course the new rules all, you know, fav- those three different rules favor steals. So that threshold would not have to be very high for Dustin Harris to be an impact guy. And I do think that there could be opportunities in that outfield, including my boy Leody himself, not that Harris would play center, but if they moved Adolis back to center and Harris could play a corner, right? Yes. Yeah. I for sure think Harris has kept himself in position to like be a good defensive corner outfielder, which, you know, this guy was traded from Oakland to, Texas, man, I don't remember for what. I don't either. Um, but, you know, Dustin Harris was like a junior college guy who was on the backfields here in Arizona right after he got picked. and was like, holy crap, look at this guy in his uniform. This, you know, he stands apart from the other kids. Mike Miner. He's trade. only 20. Mike Miner, there you go. And, you know, then the field to hit turned out to be pretty good, but he was chase prone. And you're like, yeah, but it's first base DH. Look how big he's going to be. But he's not only held serve, but improved, I think, like athletically. And so, yeah, I, I do think, especially for dynasty leaguers, if we're taking a multi-year look at it, but still fairly short term, uh, that he's someone who who I'm in on. All right, keep tabs on Dustin Harris. Anybody else with Texas that you're seeing? Uh, if not, we'll go to our last team. I don't think so. I, you know, I like Justin Foskey. Okay, um, the bat to ball stuff is is really good, and he's built like an ox, mm-hmm. but the power playability is not really there, and he doesn't really have a position. Um, yeah, that's what I've, I've heard. The same thing about uh, position with Foscue is that like, where's he really going to play? Right, and maybe for fantasy, he and Aaron Zavala are kind of both in this bucket for the next two to three year window. Uh, Aaron Zavala, left handed hitting, like second base slash outfielder from Oregon, can really only play the outfield they've already kind of cut bait on the second base thing okay uh, they're both interesting sh- relatively short-term guys and then you've got you know Jason Morabell is 19 uh for dynasty leaguers I I do prefer him to like Anthony Gutierrez who's another like high profile you know big bonus teenage outfielder in the system those are I think the two names to keep stashed from the systems like lower levels uh but I prefer Morabell just you know didn't have a great 2022 statistically, but I just think like swing-wise, body-wise, there's there's maybe more long-term upside there. There you go, Dynasty folks. All right, let's get to the team that uh, is still projected to be the worst in baseball, but that can mean prospect opportunities, and we'll see what Oakland can do. They got three on the 100. Let's start with Tyler Soderstrom. Not a catcher. You didn't even list him as such, which I totally yeah. agree with, but the dude can hit. And then now that they have Shea Langliers, they don't need – Uh, They don't need him to be a catcher, and I feel like they could move him off. I mean, couldn't they move him off as early as this year and just start bringing him through the majors pretty quickly? Because he'll be, he should be in AAA this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, the sooner they make that move, or if you see them start to move, you know, Seth Brown, right? Like if, if Jace Peterson has a pretty good first couple months, or Seth Brown has a pretty good first couple months and the market for trade starts to shape up and it's like yeah we need a left-handed power bat because whatever our thing got hurt and the a's start to move some of these guys mm-hmm. then yeah you like it might be time for them to just cut bait with the whole catching thing with soderstrom and just let him rake in the big leagues i think he's going to 
because they are still at like the relatively early stages of this rebuild, you know, it was only a year ago now when Frankie Montas was like throwing bullpens in front of scouts on the backfields because like here go all the A's guys, right? Like Sean Murphy was only traded like a month ago. I know. Uh, you know, they're going to slow play as much of this stuff as they can mm-hmm. be, to try to create a critical mass of it. And so maybe that means Soderstrom takes longer to debut. Yeah, because they still don't, really good. They don't have to trade Laureano yet either. Like they still have enough team control right. that they can let him rebuild his value if he's going to and then see what's up. I think we've talked about this guy before, and uh, I want to say that you've been tepid on, on J.J. Boudet. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've been a fan, but now he's going from one crap park to another. So the park isn't going to help cover some of his deficiencies. There's still too much swing and miss. Where are we a year later on J.J. Bleday? He's debuted. He's graduated. Is there anything here with Oakland, especially because he might get everyday burn with them? Yeah. Bleday's got that type of swing that just is very vulnerable to those fastballs running up and away from him. And most right-handed pitchers just have that in their bag. So, you know, even as, as his statistics here in the fall league might've been very good, but you could clearly see in my opinion that, you know, his bat was just dragging through that part of the zone in such a way that was going to be a problem against big league pitching. And initially off of that look, I like platoon graded him, and that may have even been too much. Uh, I do think it's an interesting buy low for Oakland, but when Miami themselves need more offense out of their outfield. That's the thing. And they're willing to move this guy for like a single inning reliever who's got basically no roster flexibility. It kind of tells you what they think about Blade. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, we don't have to spend too much time on him. I just wanted to see if anything had changed. I figured it was pretty much the same. Let's get back to the guys that you do have on on the 100. Ken Waldachuk, I think he's the prize of that deal. I do like J.P. Sears a little bit, but Waldachuk's Mm -hmm. clearly the best guy they got in that deal. I thought he showed some nice things in his debut with Oakland as well. I kind of like him as a decent breakout guy this year. Now the wins will be challenged. You know, it won't get much support. Uh, and that is a consideration that you have to think about with fantasy, but he also doesn't cost much. The market has, understands where a wall to chuck is at, but I think on a pure skills basis, there could be something pretty nice here for the 25 year old lefty. What do you think of Ken wall to chuck? Yes. Yeah, so I like wall to chuck. I've seen both him and Sears the last couple of days. Actually, wall to chuck came out of the bullpen yesterday. Uh, while the Chuck stuff is definitely nastier, both his secondaries, his curveball, and his changeup are above average to plus, changeup more commonly plus. Um, his command is just not great, and his fastball's got some margin for error in that regard. I think he will be in that, like, you know, mid rotation mix. He's that type of guy who's right on that, you know, number four starter line for me and yeah i just wish that he would work a little bit more efficiently certainly when he was in the mid minors like cruising into the upper minors with the yankees there there were like no walks and that's upped you know his approach to pitching just the way he does it is going to make him a little less efficient than that but i do like him enough that yeah i think people should be to be into drafting him i think he, he his command is less of a problem than like Shintaro Fujinami, yeah, the who they just signed from Japan, twenty nine year old. And I saw him yesterday, up to ninety eight, ninety five plus everything, four different pitches, fine. Um, stuff is really good, but command wise, all over the place in a way that's like maybe going to be a problem if it's not 
any better. Mm-hmm. I get why they did it, but like, you know, of those two guys, I think Waldachuk's more stable as like a strike thrower, even if he is a little bit below average in that regard. How much can like um, for Waldachuk specifically, and I guess uh, for Fujinami, that home ballpark make them more confident in just trusting yeah. their stuff in the zone? Is that is that something that's just a person by person thing that might click or not, or or can it be a coaching thing where they say, hey, look at all this space you have here, just trust your stuff and throw it in the damn zone? Yeah, I think that. Yes, that especially when you're like a, a four or five pitch guy like Fujinami, that you can just be told like with impunity, like attack these guys, you know, like early count swings that are off the barrel a little bit from just, you know, them not having seen you throw up a couple of times that, you know, great. Like he fists one into ta- foul territory great you know yeah exactly so i i do think that there's something to that but um i think until you get there and like it's so hard to just step on a mound there and not be laser focused on what's 60 feet six inches away from you no doubt to look around and be like oh why don't i just change everything i've done to get here you know like (laughs) that's really hard to just decide to do much easier Uh, said than done to make sweeping changes like that i totally get it uh, but I do hope that both of them, Fujinami and Waldachuk, can figure that out because, um, I, I, like I said, I really think Waldachuk's uh, uh, ceiling ha- has some has some height to it that where he could end up being he could play more like a three because of Oakland's ballpark. If he leverages that home ballpark, he's more of like a fantasy yes. three four at his peak as opposed to uh, probably of a four five where where his raw skill might be. Uh, let's see who else do we have here. The only other one on the 100 is Mason Miller at 98. He's a closer potential guy. Okay, and and you know Trevor May, we're we're internet friends, so I'm not I'm I'm out here rooting for him for sure. But he's not somebody who has like huge closing experience to say that that's locked down and can't be on you know can't be unseated there. Could Mason Miller be in that closer mix this year? Yeah, I think so. Especially if again if. Oakland decides there are only so many bullets here because this guy's injury history is what it is. Yeah. And they just decide to send him out there to do it. Then yes, I think I saw Trevor May yesterday. look fine. Um, you know, in the, the fan graphs, like employee, uh, cafeteria, like Trevor May is welcome to sit at my table. Absolutely. Um, and you know, I was one of those guys who was like when he was a Phillies prospect and that was all I covered. I was just like, yeah, this guy's a reliever. And I know that he did not enjoy that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, I got some Twitter heat from that 15 years ago, however the fuck long it was. Um, But uh, he's 33 now. I think he's a Northwest guy too. Right. So he's, he's probably in uh, sitting at Meg's table too. Yeah. Um, but this, uh, this is a really, really good dude. But and again, I don't think he has to be like, I'm the closer and I, you know, he got paid his seven mil this year he's obviously knows he's on a bad team so he's there to pitch and i I think mason miller his stuff is so gross he's 24 what are they waiting for that is an interesting name that could uh could sneak into some saves all those guys like kyle muller is almost out of options yep he had a mixed first look last week but he is like out of options um luis medina same thing but he's probably not going to close there i do think mason miller is a real threat to close and then again if the fire sale starts and like Seth Brown or somebody like gets moved, Lawrence Butler looks good. Okay. Lawrence he's Butler. He's also a click, right? Yes. Uh, he's one of Tess's, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Um, yeah. Lawrence, the law dog, 
another like guy that. who instantly, you know, stands out in the uniform and can really, really hit. They're trying to find a defensive home for him. He played a bunch of corner outfield in the fall league. It's pretty rough out there. But as soon as that stuff is viable, uh, especially if they're offing some of these older big leaguers like, you know, Aguilar and Jace Peterson and stuff, um, you know, he, he's on the 40, man. So I think it might be time for him to get an opportunity and he might take the ball and run with it. Like he looks quite good. That'd be that'd be wonderful to see uh, Lawrence Butler. I, guess I like it more good. than Bladet. Okay. And I totally get that. Totally get that. Lawrence Butler, keep tabs on him. What about Connor Capel? Um, seems like one of those, you know, can kind of do a bunch of stuff pretty well and where he's like a decent type guy. Had a, had a solid little two, two team sample yeah. last year. They got him from St. Louis. Uh, so he's got some devil magic coming with him. Is there any fantasy viability there if, if he finds? Yeah, time? I think so. I think Connor Capel's just been a pretty good baseball player for his. So he's another guy who's just like in high school. You're like, yeah, he's like a tweener contact, not a ton of power. Is it center field? Eh, probably not. You know, so there's not enough power to be an everyday corner guy and he can't really play center field. So he's just sort of on the fringe and he got squeezed out of deep situations in St. Louis and Cleveland both. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I do think that he's one of those guys who, if given an opportunity is rosterable in fantasy. Excellent. Okay. Uh, let's see who else. Do we That's like? the area Ruiz probably want to touch oh, on. Yeah, you got it. Cause I, I, I don't think he can hit enough, but the fantasy market is getting some, some heat on him. He's had, he's had some helium because people are seeing the, the million steals, which I get the speed, but you gotta be, you know, the old can't steal first adage. What do right. we think about his hit tool? Can he get there to where he's getting on base enough? I think given what the A's gave, like essentially traded it for him, mm-hmm. that they probably like him and he will probably play a ton and that he so probably has the edge over Pache on the center field depth chart at this stage. Yep. I think um, so too. He can really, really run, but I am very skeptical in his ability to hit. I think he's like a Marisnik type guy. Um, you know, he's just, he's just allergic to sliders. And even yesterday, man, who was on the mound? It was like Jose Godoy was back there catching for the angels. And I don't remember who was pitching for them, but it was a guy. It was, oh, it was uh, Chris Davinsky. So Davinsky was oh, like wow. sitting 95 and it's got, you know, like sink and tail action downhill. And he's got that changeup, and that's Davinsky's best pitch. And his slider is kind of mad, but, you know, it's hard. It's in the mid-80s, and it is a slider. And, like, he throws one slider to Ruiz, and Ruiz offers at it. It's not really anywhere close. And this is, like, Estiuri's problem is he's trying to pull everything, and he pulls off all of these sliders. Uh, and, like, his swing at that slider was so non-competitive that, like I thought for sure that Godoy was going to go back to that at some mm-hmm. point in the at bat, probably soon, if not just double up on that slider. Like he was nowhere near it. And then they just keep working him in, in, in with like those changeups and, and fastballs. I think they threw him one more slider, uh, the rest of the AB, uh, which he fouled off like right on the corner. And, uh, you know, eventually like he hooks one into the left field corner. One of these, you know, sinking, I don't remember what pitch it was, but it was in, and to me, it's just like, all right, clearly you know how to get this guy out. Maybe Chris Davinci is getting his work in or whatever. Sure. But, but it's a mistaken approach. So, and some of this comes from like having watched Esther Ruiz since he was with Kansas City and like 18 years old. Mm-hmm. But this guy just like can't identify sliders. He swings inside them all the time. His approach is so pull oriented and compounding with his lack of recognition. Like it's going to be a problem in my opinion. 
But clearly the A's like him enough that they basically traded Sean Murphy for him. I know. I I, I still so, can't fathom the return that they got in that deal. He can go get it and he can really run. And so like definitely fantasy people want to be on him more than I am. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, a C2 on him. I have, you know, he's Marisnik for me. It's okay. Like defensive replacement in center field, pinch runner, maybe a, you know, situational pinch hitter, but not like an everyday guy or not like a Manny Margot platoon, you know, complimentary regular type guy. Like, no, just a bench outfielder who can run and play center field is basically what I think of Vesteris. I'm I'm right there with you, and that's why I'm not particularly interested. And you know, I don't want to overstate where the fantasy market is on him. Um, he's going on an average of pick two thirty eight, but that's not like that's not cheap either. You know, you got um, uh, well, Gavin Lux is hurt now, but I, I obviously love him. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Brian De La Cruz, Will Myers, who I do love, especially in Cincinnati. I know mm. his health risk. Uh, Masataki Masataki Yoshida. You got all those guys around him, and I just I, I get the speed component, but I just don't think. Ruiz is going to hit enough to deliver as much speed. Or if he does, if they just, you know, blunt force uh, volume his way there, yeah, you might get your 35 plus steals, but with what kind of batting average? It's going to be pretty light. And then what kind of runs and ribbies, too, right? I think people yeah. don't factor in sometimes the pain that a guy like that can put on your runs and ribbies totals that you have to make up elsewhere because he's just delivering nothing there. Yeah. Yep. Um, right. I guess well, Jonah Bride. Jonah Bride's like another bat-to-ball kind of freak. Um, if he could catch, which they've tried. I was going to say, they've, they've tried to fake it before, right? Yeah, they tried the conversion. And the long, the prolonged period I saw from him was, without it being like 22 minor league spring? I don't remember. It was, it was definitely last year. Maybe it was 2021 Instructs where that was like my focus is, can this guy catch? Now that Langleyers is around, they don't really need him to. And because of like the profile around Manny Pena from the Murphy deal, mm-hmm. it feels like he's going to get squeezed off. Of but he does have like I do like him as a player, but the situation here is is pretty tough for him to find at bats this year. Jonah Bride, that, that's fair with Jonah Bride. Um, let's see what what about Dermis Garcia? Can he hit at nah. all? Okay, didn't think so. Just cool. Again, what, maybe fantasy people, you want to be on it more than me just because there is so much power. But, you know, for my purposes, there's just not enough for him to like to support a real roster role, even as one of those like bench bats. Yeah. A guy like Derek Hall in Philly, just by virtue of being left handed, is more likely to find a roster role over time than someone like Dermis. Yeah. Um, I like, kind of like Noda, Ryan Noda, who they took in the Rule 5, who's just performed the upper levels forever. Um, he's kind of an interesting cat, like having watched him in these big league games and knowing that he's playing for a big league roster spot. Like he's he's a pretty intense guy. Um, he's got interesting footwork at first base and the whole shebang, but you know, he's a Noda, hitter, so maybe yeah. some uh, some strong side platoon, 25 homers, 20 steals for the Dodgers triple A last year. Those are some spicy numbers. There is some swing and miss there, but there's also plenty of walks all the way up. Yes. So, you know, I, I like that call out as well. Now you mentioned Dermis Garcia, right? More fantasy than real life because he has some pop. The other end of that, of course, is Nick Allen where he's on your list or not on your list, but he would be in your sphere of caring because he's a true middle infielder defender with some speed, but not much for the bat, right? Is there any development there? I know he, he had a hundred, hundred games last year. He, he played quite a bit and graduated, but it was really underwhelming right. with a 61 WRC plus. 
Yeah, it's going to be, you know, well below average offense. Nikki's just not a very physical guy. He makes enough contact that you're fine with him as your utility guy or a low end, you know, everyday shortstop in that, you know, Willie Bloomquist. Yeah. Uh, you know, John that McDonald. type of John McDonald. Um, but yeah, like he's going to play in the big leagues forever. And, you know, his hands on defense are so unbelievable, but like, that's not a fantasy category. So yep. <laughs> you guys don't have to worry about him. <laughs> no, yeah, that's kind of what I thought. Again, I'll, I'll make one last reference to OOTP. He becomes a badass in that, in those leagues because he can play a true shortstop and, and give you several years there. So that, that's why I, I like Nick Allen, but I know he's not super fantasy viable. Anybody else in Oakland, as we wrap up this absolute banger of an episode, I don't think so. Um, are there any other? Yeah, like I mentioned, Bride. Uh, Zach Geloff struck out a bunch toward the end of last year, enough that you know I'd be apprehensive about him. Yeah, I'm not a big Daryl Hernandez guy. There's another one where like the swing to me is is a little bit suspect, but his in, you know in terms of his ability to play the middle middle infield and he's built like that and how much bat speed there is. Um, you could, you might want to be in on him if you're in like a deep dynasty league and want to take an upside shot on somebody. Um, and then that's uh, probably uh, Denzel Clark is also in that vein. Uh, okay. Denzel Clark from UC Northridge, like the first year that there was a, a baseball draft combine, this was the guy who was like, Holy cow, Turning look at this heads. guy! Um, so yeah, like he's figuring it out. Um, but obviously, you know, the leap from a mid tier Cal State school, like in the pitching you're facing there, to you know, being in the mid minors, it's like pretty big leap. So there's, even though he's almost 23, I still think he, yeah, he's got a chance to really explode at some point here in the next couple of years. And he's someone dynasty folks should be aware of. Denzel Clark. You see anything from him at fall league, by the way, Uh, were you able to catch him when he was there? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll try to get video up because I do think, well, I guess the A's list is a ways off yet, but, um, but we're writing about a bunch of the guys who are going to be big leaguers. Uh, he's not going to be on that just because of the distance. But I'll try to get video up so pe- people can see. There's so much work to do with like his swing and field to hit and just the way things are timed. But man, like at his size and his speed, and uh, he's exactly the type of guy who I think, and for sure they've been you know burned by it a few times with Austin Beck and Lazarito and these guys. But like mm-hmm. Oakland should try to take flyers on guys like this, even if they're low probability. Because they have the potential to break in a way that makes them the type of player that Oakland cannot otherwise acquire. They're not going to pay for a guy who, if like Denzel Clark hits his ceiling, they'll never sign that guy. Of course. So they have to grow them. They have to grow their own. And so like you take a shot on a small school guy with, you know, these characteristics and see if it works. And yeah, like. I totally get why they why they did it, and uh, but the pitching pitching in Oakland that's round down like all those names that you know JT Ginn, Ryan Cusick, Gunnar Hoagland, aforementioned uh, you know, Kyle Muller. Yeah, Kyle Muller, like round down on those guys. Freddie Tarnock. They don't seem to be able to. Tarnock looked okay the other day. He was like three to five with a good breaking ball. It's really downhill, maybe so downhill that mm-hmm. it's actually good, um, rather than like the typical downhill guys where they're just running into barrels. But like this is kind of extreme enough that maybe it works. Um, but like Cusick and Ginn and all all those guys that they've acquired via trade, they were all throwing not as hard as as like definitely not as hard as Peak and not as hard as when they were acquired in most cases. You were hoping, I was hoping, Ginn 
and Hoagland both coming off of TJ, you know, sometimes guys come back from TJ and they're throwing harder than before because of what they did to their body during rehab, um, where they don't have anything to do, but like be in incredible shape. Yeah. So like Walker Bueller came back from TJ and it was like, Holy cow. Um, but that has not happened with this group. They were all down in like the 88, 92 range. Basically, uh, Cusick was more like two to four in the fall league, uh, which is way below their, their peak, all three of them. So round down on this whole system in terms of uh, how you think about their, the growth of their pitching. And I think that's a big part of why they try to acquire ready-made guys in volume. JP Sears, come on down. Adam Aller. You know, guys who are basically the cement is dry because they aren't the best. What's a cement? What's a what's that job? A mason. They're not right. the best masons. They're <laughs> so not they're getting the, best the guys who cement. <laughs> the cement is already dry. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great analogy to end on, Eric. You've been so generous with your time. Over five hours of excellent, excellent right. coverage here. I truly cannot wait for people to listen to these episodes. Thank you so much, man. This has been wonderful. Let's revisit again closer to draft time and talk about some uh, oh, some yeah. amateurs that people need to know for their dynasty leagues. How about that? Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me so much. I know, you know, um, it is hard. Sometimes there are things lost in translation between the fantasy community and I because of like my lack of presence on social media and I'm not like doing content specifically geared for it uh, that I'm happy to spend time trying to, you know, come to terms on some of this stuff with, you know, you guys and, and your listenership. And I hope people will continue to check out the prospect lists as they roll out. Um, the Yankees, Blue Jays, and Phillies are the next group getting done top to bottom. Excellent. And we'll also be skimming off the top. Like I've got a D backs list ready to roll of just the guys who like, I expect will be in the big leagues this year. So like I want to see all my D-backs guys here and extended and like have a nice deep prospect list full of 18, 19, 20-year-olds who are far away from the big leagues. But I also want to make sure that the readers are getting the scouting reports on guys who are going to be in the big leagues this year mm -hmm. sooner than in years past when it's like May and like there's Alec Burleson and Brendan Donovan on like a Cardinals list, right? Uh, like that was not optimal. So trying to make an adjustment to get more of those the big league ready guys reports out sooner. And those are going to start rolling out here very soon. That's perfect. Can't wait to read it. Love all of your stuff, not just from a fantasy perspective, but also just from being a huge baseball nerd, Eric, you're the man. And uh, we'll talk later. Take care. Thanks Paul. See you dude.